We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. Tonight we are here to break down the Giants' all-22 coaches film of their week one victory over the Tennessee Titans on the defensive side of the ball. For those who are new to the podcast, every week we do all 22 podcasts, breaking down the offense in one, the defense in the other. Last night, we broke down the offense. We hope you enjoyed that. It was our longest All-22 podcast ever, two-plus hours. We've never even really come close to that. And I look back this morning, Nick. It's just, like, fun to talk about. We kept going. I didn't really want to stop. Even at the end, we cut out stuff. Like, we had more stuff to go, some of which I said to myself, Nick, and I didn't tell you this before the pod, but if we have time at the end of this one, we'll get to it. It doesn't really make sense for this podcast. It was basically just, like, um... Nick's charting of, and I think this is very valuable information. Maybe you can put it on Twitter if we don't get to it, Nick. But Nick's charting of like when we use PA bootleg, when we use zone read, when we use jet motion stretch zone, just different kind of play calling data and then passing concept data, which I thought was really excellent, to be completely honest. Something we haven't done in the past. So maybe it's something better for Twitter. I don't know. Maybe we'll see at the end if we have time. Or honestly, maybe, dude, we can just bring it up on a future podcast because we're going to do another preview pod of the Panthers game like we did last week with the Titans with another special guest. This week, it's a super special guest, by the way. I kind of want to shout this out before we get into all this, Nick. We have a good guest coming for Thursday. I'm really excited to get him on the show. He's a former NFL player, a really good one. He covers the Panthers now. And let's just say you guys might be familiar with him. Um, but don't worry. It's going to be a fun podcast. We won't be uh, we won't be doing anything uh risque i guess you could say with interviewing but maybe we'll go over that stuff at the end of that show or something like that nick but i want to dive into the defense now and get this thing rolling get it focused on what we're doing here so i like what we did yesterday to start off the offensive all 22 pod nick and it was each of us giving our own overall takeaway of what the main concept or what our the main thing we learned from the film i'm going to say this nick the main thing i learned from the film here watching the defense is that wink martindale is a man with a plan in what is can only be described to me, or what the only way I would describe it is, Belichick, Bill Belichickian fashion, he literally decided, I am going to take away the opponent's best offensive player, that being Derrick Henry, and I'm going to make them beat us with any other player. And I can't think of a better plan going into this game when you face a Titans team that traded away A.J. Brown this offseason. A.J. Brown was the cog of that offense. They didn't even have a number two that's currently on the roster playing snaps because it was Julio Jones last year, then got injured, and they rotated in all these guys. But if you look at the snap counts of this game, 
Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, who's a rookie, and Kyle Phillips, who's a rookie, played the majority of their wide receiver snaps. So there really isn't any other game plan. You shouldn't come into this with a balanced game plan. Like, we'll look at it and we'll go over it, but he played a stunning amount of snaps with seven with seven linebackers or defensive linemen in the game. Stunning in the sense that, one, it goes against all modern defense these days, which is mostly sub-packages, mostly four, uh, you know, five, six, sometimes six defensive backs, but also stunning in the sense that we didn't really expect this in a lot of ways from Wink Martindale. Also, he played a lot more zone coverage than I think a lot of people were expecting, and he blitzed a lot less than I think people were expecting based on his past. And I think all of that kind of went into this whole idea and this whole plan that we are going to make sure the Titans do not beat us with Derrick Henry. Beat us any other way. Figure it out any other way. We trust ourselves to win if we take away say, uh, Derrick Henry. And that's exactly what they did. And we'll get into some stats in a little bit. But that was my key takeaway. I love that he came out with a Belichickian game plan to take away the opponent's best player. And it worked. And how they did it, Dan, right? I mean, stop the run. That's going to be the emphasis of what Martindale wants to do, like you said. But the Giants, they were keeping everything up front, just narrow, setting firm edges with O'Shane Zimenez, who had a hell of a game, and Jihad Ward, who had a really good game. And then the linebackers were playing incredibly aggressively, right? You had the big bodies up front just clogging those interior rushing pads, and the linebackers were told to read and eliminate lead blockers before the double team can climb, while the rest of the defense just flows to the football. You plug up the interior, you force Henry East and West, you spill them. Do not allow them to get north and south. Do not allow them to get vertical. And the Giants executed this fantastically. You nailed it because it's not just the specific idea of let's let anyone else beat us, but he takes it even a step further, as you said, Nick. And he says, not only are we going to not let Derrick Henry beat us and do everything we can, we're not going to let him beat us vertically. We're going to make him try to beat us East-West. Now, that may not be the same game plan. I doubt it's the same game plan he's going to come up with for this week against the Carolina Panthers with more of an East-West runner in, say, in Christian McCaffrey. And I actually think Christian McCaffrey does a good job getting vertical in North-South, too. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just saying he has the capability and the speed to get East-West if, if, he need, if, if that's available to him. And that's the marking of a great coach, right? A specific game plan on a weekly basis. And I don't want to say that these past Giants coaches haven't done that. It's not to say that. So, look, there weren't too many game-specific game plans that I remember from Jason Garrett. And even on the other side of the ball, we like Patrick Graham, but he did a lot of the same stuff on defense over and over and over again. And that's that's definitely an oversimplified way of saying it. I'm sure Nick is over there like, no, no, no. And I get that. But it wasn't – I can't remember too many of these game plans where I came out of it and I was like, Patrick Graham came in this and he said, I'm going to take away this player no matter what. And I'm going to take away the thing that this player wants to do. And I don't care if I'm selling out to do it. I don't care if that leaves me vulnerable in a lot of other ways. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to see how this works. And it worked, and that's what I loved about this game plan, man. And so I'm really excited to get into this. I think the Giants' defense and Wink Martindale, and I'm not trying to take anything away from them. They played a great game. They came up huge in high-leverage situations. But the Titans right now are constructed in a manner that if you eliminate Derrick Henry, you're, you're asking Ryan Tannehill to throw the football to Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips, both players that I like, but they're, they're two rookies. They have no, they have zero weapons, dude. Like Chigo Conquo and zero weapons, zero rapport, zero weapons. Ryan Tannehill didn't play in the preseason. Like Chigo Conquo, he's, he's an explosive player out of Maryland, but another rookie who played significant snaps out there and was used in the game plan. There's just so inexperienced. So the, the game plan really. The, the game plan of Wink Martindale was married very well to the fact that the Titans really didn't have any other threats other than Derrick Henry. Exactly right. And that includes Robert Woods, who they signed in free agency, but 
clearly, in my opinion, by the way, if I'm very low on Woods going forward. If this is a fantasy football type spin podcast, I would look to trade him. If he still has any value, I, I wouldn't invest anywhere in that offense on the in the passing game outside of Traylon Burks. And for me, honestly, Kyle Phillips. Kyle Phillips is a definite. We'll get into some of that. Kyle Phillips ran a nasty route against the Giants, against Darnay Holmes on one of these plays that I put on Twitter. That was real fun to watch his release. But as far as what you just said, Nick, you're exactly right. And one, you know, caution, I'll throw a little caution in the breeze. The Titans got themselves in this position because they paid a huge contract to Derrick Henry, a running back, and they paid a huge contract to Ryan Tannehill, a mid-level quarterback. And then they also went all in on the defensive side of the ball with the Bud Dupree contract, among others. And this is kind of the situation you can get yourself in when you allocate an insane amount of cap space to a running back position and a lot of cap space, even more, to a quarterback that may not be a next-level, elite-level quarterback who needs some things around him to work. And then what do they have to do? They have to trade A.J. Brown. This team cannot afford to trade A.J. Brown. Like If you watch the Titans passing game, and if you looked at the total game plan and you factored all that context in, you would have thought that Ryan Tanner would have a good chance to throw for 354 or five or 400 yards in this game. But without A.J. Brown and without any continuity with the rest of those receivers and honestly a lack of talent, to be completely honest, overall in that receiver group, he wasn't able to, despite the game plan that Fink Barndale put out there. So I thought that was a great point by you, Nick. And I think it's worth saying. And I think it's a little bit of a word of caution of where me and Nick are at from a long-term roster building standpoint and why it's really difficult to try to win this way. The Titans are trying. But let's get into some defensive stats per True Media that I thought stood out to me, Nick. I'll say this. I'm going to leave a little pause after each one. And that'll give you an opportunity to jump in if there is anything you want to say on them because we didn't rehearse this. But if not, I'll just rifle through the rest. 34 of 68 plays, the Giants use press coverage on 50%. That makes sense. I think there were a lot of adjustments that Wink Martindale makes. If you remember early in the game, the Titans were really carving the Giants up because the Giants were in a lot of off coverage. Just those quick hitters over the middle of the field, it, it the timing of Brian Tannehill and a lot of those receivers were actually pretty good whenever they ran those deep over type of routes, those drag routes. So disrupt their release at the line of scrimmage, screw with the timing, and then allow the defensive front to really get after either Derrick Henry or Ryan Tannehill if it is a pass. So that's not a surprise to me. Okay. Giants allowed a 60.6% completion rate, which I'll give a little bit of editorial here and say that was pretty damn good considering their game plan was to completely sell out to stop the run. I would agree with that. I would also add the caveat that if they didn't drop the football like three or four times, it would be <laughs> a little a bit higher. Jobs. Yeah, we, yeah did, like, we did finally benefit from some luck in this game. Let's be honest. And, but you know what? Screw it. We deserve it. We've been on the bad side of luck for a long time as a fan base. And like they missed a field goal. They had a, a few drops. They probably should have had. Oh, well, I don't care. And it wasn't all luck, by the way, because the Giants could have recovered the fumble of Daniel Jones. That fumble luck is it was certainly not on their side. Though then again, the Barkley fumble did go right out of bounds. So that kind of uh, maybe washes that one and negates it. But let's move on to the next one. The Giants had five missed tackles on defense, according to Pro Football Focus. The Titans had eight missed on the other side of the ball. I'd sign up for that against Derrick Henry. And some of the missed tackles weren't as egregious. Now, you, you see that stat, missed tackle, and you're like, oh, what the heck, man? Tay Crowder missed this tackle. One of Tay Crowder's missed tackles was a little bit bad. He put his shoulder into Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry just bounced off it and ran for like another seven yards. But then there was one where he missed a tackle, but he basically just absolutely plugged the B-gap. Derrick Henry had to bounce everything outside, and then he got rally tackled by like three other defenders. That's a great play by Tay Crowder, but it's negatively impacted on his PFF score. So you got to watch the film to really get the entire context of that. I'd sign up for that any day, though, against the Titans. I agree with that entirely, considering they're facing the hardest to tackle running back in the NFL by far. So great take by you. 
They allowed only two plays on defense of 25 or more yards. That was awesome to see. Yeah, and a lot of them, I think, were early on, if I'm not mistaken. I think the Kyle Phillips play at the end of the game, that, that was a bad one. It was just a, a great throw by Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill had some dimes, Dan, dimes, in this dude. game. Yeah, Darnay Holmes, the two catches that he surrendered, where I'm like, bro, he's in perfect coverage. There's perfect really coverage. not much not he can do. Yep. And we'll get in, we'll get into Darnay. I mean, Darnay gets a little grabby. He always has gotten a little grabby. He didn't have the best game. But on those two plays where he was beat by Kyle Phillips, I just don't know what else Darnay Holmes could have done. The one play that was over the middle of the field on that last drive, not the seven routes to the sideline. He's literally in the lane of where Kyle Phillips is. He's just on his inside hip. He's right there. The ball could only be in one spot, and Tannehill dimed it, dude. He threaded the needle. Tannehill had a freaking great game in terms of ball placement and touch and things of that nature. Great game in terms of ball placement and touch. I would say this. It, this is a little tangent. We'll, we'll, we'll do it quick. I It does scare me when I see a game like that from Ryan Tannehill, which was pretty damn good and above the level, to be quite, quite honest, of what I've seen from the Giants in a while. And it's still not good enough because there's the Herberts out there, there's the Mahomeses out there, and there's the Josh Allens from week, all those guys from week one that are just taking that to such a different level. And we've already seen this This build isn't working for the Titans allocating all the cap space to Tannehill in a back. So it is a little scary from a roster building standpoint. Again, we're not going to get into too much of that 30K Foot, foot view stuff though right now so we're just talking about this win so the giants allowed just the 27.3 percent third down conversion rate thought that was really excellent it was as you mentioned earlier nick aided a little bit by some drops but still man considering this situation without their two best pass rushers i thought it was good all right the giants also allowed this is the big one for me just one total play nick the entire game of 10 plus yards in the run game derrick henry only broke one run of double digits that's incredible and it was also just an excellent adjustment by Todd Downing. We'll get into this when we get into the drive-by-drive -drive portion of mm -hmm. the podcast. But the the Titans threw counter at the Giants, and it really just manipulated what Wink Martindale was doing. Because like I said a little earlier, he was penetrating those linebackers to take out the pullers all the time. And there was just nowhere for Derrick Henry to run, especially with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams and Jahad Ward playing up front. Because the Giants had five guys on the line of scrimmage several different times throughout this game. I want to say yep. the majority of the game. A lot of tight front, a lot of five guys on the line of scrimmage with O'Shane and Jahad Ward. But in terms of that, 18-yard run that he had, it was just a counter run where Ryan Tannehill opens in one direction, the linebackers react, and then everybody comes back into the other direction. So the linebackers are already out of position. It kind of took advantage of the fact that Wink Martindale was being aggressive, and it slowed it down. The Giants had to alter their game plan a little bit after that run, but that was a really nice adjustment by Downing. Yeah. Here's another one. We're going to start to reference some EPA stats more often on the show. EPA is expected points added as kind of an advanced metric. So the Giants run defense added a plus 8.54 expected points added. That's how good they were. And for comparison's sakes, the Titans run defense was minus 5.33. Yeah, it's not a surprise, man. Saquon Barkley ran all yeah. over the Tennessee Titans, and then obviously the Giants' run defense was stout, which we'll talk about all throughout this podcast. This one a bit scarier on the flip side of that, Nick. The pass defense EPA for the Giants was minus 10.56, and on the flip side, the Titans had a plus 8.74 pass defense. Yeah, Tannehill was 20 of 33 for 266 yards, two touchdowns, a couple big chunk plays, yep. 21 yards to Kyle Phillips here. Dontrell Hilliard had the 31 yard. Anytime Downing could isolate Dontrell Hilliard, who we did not think was going to be a huge part of this game plan against the Giants linebacker, he obliged and he made the Giants pay, in a, well, I think, three different plays to Dontrell Hilliard. So that's not really a surprise to me. But again, I think a lot of it is a product of the fact that the Giants were allocating so many other resources to stopping the run. And I think it was like... It's 
they were out allocating so many resources to stop and run. There was a big play they hit late in the game to Traylon Burks that I thought was just really good scheme by the Titans and a weird alignment pre-snap by the Giants. We'll get to, I want to get your take on that with the Dory Jackson like lined up so far off the ball and it, all Burks really had to do was dart inside on like kind of like an, a quick over route and he just had so much space to work with. So I think there are some things they can probably clean up in that regard, the Giants. Here's another one that wasn't so great, but we know it's probably going to be the case until we get a little healthier. The Giants pass sack EPA was 0.83 versus 11.12 for the Titans. Yeah, the Giants couldn't really get too much pressure. A lot of the guys who were out there were there to defend the run. And I got to say, man, we'll talk about this a little bit, but O'Shane Zimenez, he's somebody that we have chastised throughout the years for being a bad run defender. He looked a lot better in this game, man. So he was doing something well in camp. And I can see why now that the New York Giants wanted to keep him on the roster. There was one play that I saw Quincy Roche, and I could pull up how many plays Quincy Roche ended up playing in this game. He played four, and I like Quincy Roche. But there was this one play where he squared up. It was just a base block. He was supposed to hold the point of attack. He just got uplifted and planted into the ground. O'Shane Zimenez didn't really get planted into the ground at all here. So I, I came away very impressed with what we saw from X-Man. A little bit of a spoiler for what I was coming later because he did make one of my superlatives. But I completely agree with you, Nick. I felt like I saw a different version of O'Shane as Zimenez. I think this was the best game of his career, despite the fact that he said maybe some better games purely as a pass rusher. It's the overall profile. He was better against the run than I've ever seen him, and I feel like something may have clicked with him. So I really like the process by the Giants here. They trusted what they saw in camp with him. I know he was on the outs in the roster to begin with. We even predicted he wouldn't make it based on his past. But people can change. Players can change. And like you've always said on this show, and I, one of my favorite things that you've said, Nick, progression is not linear. Like Just because he didn't really progress for the first few years of his Giants career doesn't mean it can't take a massive jump. And it's possible that it can because, like you said, this is the best I've ever seen him versus the run specifically. And that allows him to stay on the field. Throw Tay Crowder into that bucket as well. Tay Crowder, and we brought this up on previous podcasts, maybe the change in system will assist him. I think Tay Crowder played amazing in this game. In terms of run defense, he's going to have his liabilities in coverage. I think that's something that's never going to be a, a great part of his game, but he seems to really have taken to the coaching of this Wink Martindale staff, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Again, he's not going to be Blake Martinez out there or anything, but he played better than I expected. Yeah, that's that's a definitely a good takeaway. I felt the same way with the run defense because, you know, this game would have been it would have been impossible for the Giants to have this much success as a run defense overall. If Tay Crowder was playing literally every snap as their Mike backer didn't have a good game versus the run. It's just not how it works. Like if he was bad against the run, like he was at times in the past in, the, in that old system, we would have seen it and would have showed up in their run defense overall. Now, the pass defense is a whole nother issue we can get to at another time. But that's a good take by you. All right. Giants allowed 7.7% of the Titans run calls, just 7.7% to go for first downs. On the flip side, 34.4% of the Giants run calls went for first downs. That's a major stark contrast. The stark contrast, especially when you know that downing and the Titans offense, their identity is to run the football, even on those third and shorts. And there were a couple times when they tried to do the wildcat when that was that second. And we'll go over when Dexter Lawrence made the play to start the second half, the second and three. Those are two huge run stops right there. Like those are such high pressure situations. We'll talk about it a little later. But man, I couldn't be more proud of what the Giants de uh, run defense was able to do against Derrick Henry. Also, by the way, just a little bit of luck there on on the on the run stop on the wildcat play. I, I just rewatching that play, dude. If Henry catches that cleanly, there's just no chance. I think the Giants are going to be able to stop that. It's not like they weren't in good position. It's just Henry is so hard to stop unless that type of thing happens. That has to kind of like slow his momentum down. He has to restart it. Um. Anyway, moving forward, the the Titans had two point eight three seconds to throw versus three point one five for the Giants, despite the Giants only having a 
26.5% pressure rate on defense versus a 43.3% pressure rate on defense for the Titans. So I thought this one was a little interesting that the Titans had fewer seconds to throw. I mean, if you watch the tape in this game, the Titans were getting doing a much better job getting pressure against the Giants and the Giants were against the Titans. It was basically night and day. So I just attribute this, this to simply the two the two quarterbacks. Tannehill is just a much, much faster processor with a quicker release than Daniel Jones. And that's just uh, yeah. how it is right now. Yeah. yeah. Well put. Um, okay. The Giants use this. These kind of surprised me a little bit. So I just want to get your take on some of these. Man coverage on only 31.7% of their snaps, according to Pro Football Focus and True Media. Zone coverage on 63.3%. 27 of 60 snaps in cover three. Three of 60 in cover two. Five of 60 in quarters. Three of 60 in cover six. Just one of 60 in two man. And then one of 60 in cover zero. They only used one cover zero call. And I believe you said in the last podcast, it was used on that final drive. The Titans, I just found it interesting. The Titans used five cover zero calls. And then finally, 17 of 60 snaps in cover one. Anything to take away from those coverage stats? I think the five cover zero calls, a lot of those were run calls. Okay. I I believe. Now I'm trying to think back. Just run blitzes where they thought it was going to be a run. So they all came aggressive like that fourth and one play. And then it ended up being a pass that Daniel Jones bootlegs out. So it ends up being cover zero. But at the same time, it was because the Tennessee Titans thought that the Giants were going to run the football. Uh, when I hear that, Nick, I wonder just how many of these stats are so skewed by not having contacts, like all these numbers and stats we go over using proof, true media, whatever it is, any source. It's like uh, there's no contacts in any of them, but interesting. It's still, it's still valuable, though. It's yeah, still it's valuable. Still, just the call, right? And we'll give the context as we go drive by drive. Yep. Okay. The Giants allowed 9.35 air yards per target. Versus the Titans allowing just 5.71. This is just the stark contrast in game plan here, right? The Titans were willing to attack a little bit more of the intermediate areas of the field and the vertical areas of the field. The Giants game plan on offense with just a 5.71 air yards per target. And that includes the Sterling Shepard play, which outweighs it heavily. That just shows how few air yards they threw for attempt-wise the rest of the game. It really was just layup throws. A lot of just layup throws for Daniel Jones. And they took some shots, the Titans. Like the yeah, one play where Ocean... O'Shane Zimenez did a great job, and that was a Wink Martindale scheme. Wink Martindale schemed O'Shane Zimenez against Jeff Swaim, and and Zimenez won around his edge and then pressured Tannehill, and Tannehill threw it out of the back of the end zone. That was a really deep target to, I think, Traylon Burks. There were a couple targets that went deep that ended up going incomplete, luckily, like the one to Traylon Burks that Aaron Robinson kind of trips him up a little bit. I don't think it was as egregious Mm. as as others others did. I agree with you. I do not think he was tripped up there. Yeah, I think Burks was on his way down, and then Robinson, who was cleanly beat off the line of scrimmage, and mind you, Robinson had a really good game from what I saw, but on that play, he was beat. He was toasted off the line of scrimmage, but I think Burks just lost his balance, and Robinson yes. was right in, in, in his hip at that point. But yeah, no, man, I, I think this is, is going to be interesting to see um, for from a Giants offensive perspective how they attack downfield, because 9.35 y- air yards per target for the Titans, that's that's solid, right? Uh, Will the Giants get to a point where they're confident enough in their offensive line, which was much improved, obviously, to to have stats like that? Because five point seven one with a sixty eight yard touchdown is is pretty. I mean, that's pretty low. It's super low. It's not ideal at all. But part of it was, look, a good adjustment by the coordinator. We've talked about this on the last podcast. We don't need to go too more, much more in depth about it on this one, Kafka, to realize, look, I just can't. I simply can't. I have to abandon the things I want to accomplish in the passing game for week one. We'll hit a big play if we can. We'll get it, you know, maybe Jones will, and we and they did to Shepard. But it's not like we can really dial these up all the time because, well, quite frankly, 
they just can't, they don't have the pass protection to do it in that game, at least, especially just with that matchup with Simmons there. And another low key thing about the offense that we didn't bring up yesterday that I think is really important is Wanda Robinson left the game early. Dude yep. played like what? Like the nine every snap snaps, every nine snap. of nine. Nine of nine snaps, Dan. He leaves, and the Giants, that's straight up next man up. You start yeah. inserting Richie James and, and and David Sills into the lineup. Even slight things like that have to get into Mike Kafka's head, right? Like how much of the game plan was focused on Wandale Robinson, and then this dude exits the game. It's your first time calling plays, and yet he stayed poised with his play calling, dude. I mean, we're not going to turn this into a Mike Kafka podcast, but dude, very, very pleased with what we saw. It's unbelievable. And also, by the way, just as a future type of thing, I put this on Twitter, Hold Wandale Robinson in your fantasy leagues because the dude was playing nine and nine snaps. And I'm just speculating here, Nick, but I think it was within the plan that he was going to be that Richie James. The role that Richie James played in this game, I think that was probably designed for Wandale Robinson. And that is the layup role. That might be the that might be the role for fantasy purposes, at least. Like we want to get Coney more involved. We'd we'd love to get Kenny Galladay more involved for F's sake. Shepard, we like, but I mean, it's going to come down to who's getting those layup throws and who's getting the RPOs that are those quick in-breakers. Um, and it might be intended for Robinson when he's healthy. So just something to keep an eye on. Defensive podcast, so let's move on. One final thing before we get into the drive-by-drive stuff, Nick. 22 snaps. 22 snaps were called by Wink Martindale, where he had a combination of four defensive linemen and three linebackers on the field. Just for comparison, that was 37% of the snap. Just for comparison's sake, the Titans used that on just 5% of their snaps the entire game. And it's not uncommon around the NFL to see that on a much lower percentage than 37% with those big bulky boxes. I mean, most of the NFL has moved to, you know, nickel and dime. For example, the Giants were in dime just 10 times, Titans 12, Giants were in nickel just 25 times, Titans 38. So I just really felt like it was such an interesting game plan from Wink. He's just really said, I'm fully going in and just taking away Henry here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. Actually, mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. You may see your coworkers cracking these open at the 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but again, not beer. They're just parched, dehydrated, or just downright thirsty, and they're drinking the new mountain spring water brand called liquid death. Go get liquid death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, 
or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. So go to liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE if you want to try this tasty new Liquid Death. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. I got to say too, and not to go back to the Giants offense, but you brought this up and it's, I think, important. The the Titans being in nickel, it the Giants, man, they ran all over their nickel package when they would line yes. up with two down linemen. And we talked about it yesterday. They were just bullying him with power gap type concepts, pulling two guys into space and then just kicking out linebackers and little defensive backs. It was exploited. It's something that Shane Bowen probably should have adjusted yes. to. And Mike Kafka definitely was like, okay, we're going to exploit this in a, in a variety of different ways with a variety of different rushing concepts. So that was something that I loved from the offensive perspective. But dude, I can't tell you how many times Wink Martindale was like, all right, Justin Ellis, <laughs> Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, you're all going to align within the within the tackle box. Just yeah. You're not even going to be outside tackle. It's not like an oaky front. This is going to be something like an eagle front, like four eyes, sometimes even three techniques with a nose right over the zero. And then you have a little bit wide of the tackle, Jihad Ward to the strength, like we said, and O'Shane Zemenez, five guys on a line of scrimmage. And you have those linebackers playing as aggressively downhill as they were. Like you're just plugging the run, dude. You have to beat them through the pass. Yes. You just have to. But we know Mike Vrabel. He's going to stick to his guns. He's going to run the football. And I felt like Downing did a, a couple really nice things to to exploit the Giants through the air. But I got to say, man, just from a rush defense standpoint, they put on a clinic. And if we can keep, if we can keep expecting this, Dan, it, <laughs> it's it's going to be great, man. Because it, I know we're a little bit hesitant with the, with the Giants secondary. I think rightfully so. We'll get into that a little bit. But man, dude, that was a, an amazing clinic in terms of rushing defense that we saw. I really like that breakdown by you, Nick, because it, it brings up a little bit of game theory, I think, in this one. I think part of it is Wink Martindale having coached against Vrabel before, having coached against Down, just understanding that, you know, even if we do commit so hard to taking away Derrick Henry, they're not going to go away from it. This is not a team that's going to flip the script kind of like Kafka did in a sense and just completely abandon their game plan. Cause I think it's a core principle for every variable team to be really physical at the point of attack and to be run heavy. And I think part of it is just from watching the Titans under variable over the years with Derrick Henry, they really do believe that if they just keep going to Henry, eventually he's going to break a big one. He didn't in this game. That's the key to me. Like Derrick Henry is a big, big yards breaker. He has tons of chunk plays in his prime. And really before even the first eight games of last year before the injury, he's a chunk yardage gainer. And so the Giants somehow found a way and not somehow. I mean, look, they committed like hell to it, but they completely took away the ability to gain chunk yardage here in this game. So really just truly something special to watch from a from a schematic standpoint and overall just 
effort standpoint on this one too. And also the game script of the Tennessee Titans, it, it made, they were up 13, nothing at halftime. So they're sure. like, let's just run the clock out. And you also got to look at it. Wink Martindale looked across the aisle. And he, like I said earlier, he saw Chica Conquo. He saw Kyle Phillips. He saw Traylon Burks. He saw the fact that Ryan Tannehill didn't play any preseason snaps. And he was like, these guys are going to screw up. And they did. They dropped a lot of passes. Yes. They missed a That's lot of opportunities yep. and left plays on the football field. And honestly did not maximize what Ryan Tannehill was putting out there. And that's another reason why the Giants were so adamant to stop Derrick Henry, dude. It was just great. It was great. And we'll talk about this more on the Thursday preview podcast, but I think it's going to be a pretty similar game plan, albeit a little different in the sense that they might try to, like I said, take away a little more of the East-West stuff, but a similar game plan for Carolina because Baker Mayfield came in there, you know, mid-camp, didn't get, doesn't have that many reps down with any of those wide receivers. It's a new system with our boy Ben McAdoo. Um, boy, they looked ugly last week. They did get something going a little bit in the second half, and I feel like they are going to beat the Giants in some... We'll talk about this again on the preview more. I feel like they're going to beat the Giants in the passing game a decent amount. I'll be completely honest, just because right now I don't have too much faith in this Giants pass defense overall until we get Aziz and, and Thibodeau back, but ultimately, I think the Giants will have some success again and a lot of success stopping the run, but let's dive into the tape right now. Oh, wait, there was one thing I want to say. Oh, I wanted you to... Sorry, I wanted you to walk this back real quick, Nick. Can you break down, because we don't have video up, this is just podcast form, and Nick has put a lot of breakdowns on Twitter, and I've put some clips up there too, but can you break down for the people who aren't watching this right now or didn't see the film, what you mean when you say these te- these defensive linemen are aligning in tight splits in the four eye, and what just kind of a, give an idea of how it looks on the football field for the people who aren't watching it? Of course. So you have a tackle box, right? So the tackle box is everything within the tackle. So the Giants, a tight front, and there's a variety of different tight fronts, but essentially the goal of a tight front is to clog up the interior, create traffic jams, and spill everything outside to the contained defenders, whether that be the secondary contained defenders or the edge rushers, which was the edge rushers for this Wink Martindale team. So you're going to have a nose tackle directly over the top of the center. A lot of the times it was Justin Ellis. Sometimes it was Dexter Lawrence. I believe it started the game with Dexter Lawrence there, but you're going to rotate and keep bodies fresh. And then either at a three technique, which is on the outside shoulder of the guard or a four eye, that's the inside shoulder of the tackle. There's a big difference there, even though it doesn't really seem like it. You're going to have one big body and then another big body on the other side. Sometimes, like what Patrick Graham did and a lot of teams end up doing, sometimes they'll align a four eye to the strength. So that's on the inside shoulder of that tackle. The strength is where the tight end is. And then a three technique to the backside, just so you can have a little bit more leverage to the strength because a lot of the times offenses tend to run strong side. So either way, you have four bodies inside of the tackle box. Very hard to run when you have three guys who are over 300 pounds, really good run defenders like Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence in there. And then you have edge rushers who are just standing up on the outside. And their job is to contain everything, to set the edge, which is something that Jihad Ward did several times. And Titans, bless them. They tried to use a tight end to block him because sometimes you just have to. The tight end is not going to be able to manhandle Jihad Ward. So you align him to the strength. And guess what? You're not bouncing many runs outside in that in that situation, unless you want right. them to bounce runs outside and you have a linebacker flowing in that direction. So you're containing everything and the run is going to be going into that either C or B gap, depending on if it's a tight end or the offensive tackle trying to kick out Jahat Ward. Now you have those linebackers plugging. And what the what the Titans did, man, they, they pulled so many offensive linemen, like I said. And every time the Giants linebackers, they read their run keys and they saw a lineman pulling they shot aggressively and eliminated that lineman, that pulling lineman or fullback or H-back or whoever it was before they got to the line of scrimmage, leaving Derrick Henry all alone to find to find a way because the initial gap was just basically eliminated by that shooting aggressive linebacker. So the tight front, though, is essentially just a way to stop interior runs, clog everything up, yep. spill everything outside. 
that's, I think, uh, is there anything else you want, you want me to go over there? No, I think it was a great breakdown. And I think for everyone who's listening, it's an interesting strategy. It's a really, like Nick said, and like we've talked about, it's aggressive in the sense that you're really selling out stuff to run. I think, you know, I've seen Saban do similar things in the past and Belichick, it's kind of been a big part of it. And it's a great idea, right? Like getting them going east, south. What do we always talk about with Saquon Barkley over the past years when he was struggling? We wanted him to go north, south more often and stop going east, west. I just think overall, it's probably pretty good to use in most situations. So I wouldn't be shocked if even with McCaffrey's speed, we start we see that again this week. The juxtaposition of the of the defensive game plan from the Titans to the to the uh, Giants was it was interesting, right? Because you watch the film, the Titans defensive line, what were they doing? They were penetrating, man. Mm-hmm. They were getting upfield. They were shooting gaps. What were Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and all them doing? They were just holding the point of attack, occupying right? Yep. They were occupying the gap, and then they were allowing the linebackers to do the penetrating. Yep. So you could see how different fronts allow you to do different things. And when you're playing King Henry, you want to force him east-west. You don't want to allow him to go north-south. So don't give him any opportunity to hit the A gap, the B gap. Force him into the C. Force him outside and allow those contained defenders to rally. And that happened several different times. Like we went over with the Tay Crowder play a little bit ago, and there were several other plays where Derrick Henry tried to bounce outside, but no dice, man. Aaron Robinson and Adoree Jackson, credit to them. They flew up and they made aggressive tackles. Both of those players were really good in rush defense. Both of those players were good in run defense. And that is something that, that again, Wink Martindale made this clear. The first video I ever saw from him, which was like in the Giants facility in Mar- or whatever the OTAs was in the spring. He's like, the, look, we're going to do a lot of things here, but what we're going to do no matter what is stop the run. He's a big believer in that. And I saw those defensive backs rally to the run game better than I've seen Giants defensive backs rally to the run and play the run in a long time. And that also, by the way, I just want to get that in because that also has me excited. Let's dive into the first possession here after uh, I think that was the, the Titans first possession after the Giants went three and out. So I thought the tone was set right away. It was just fun to watch. It's not, we don't have to, to comment too much on this, but the very first play of the game, it's exactly what you broke down. It's essentially really an eight-man front when you consider McKinney who, where, with where he's aligned before the snap. The Titans have seven blockers. They're using 21 personnel here with a fullback and a tight end. But you're going seven blockers against an eight-man front, and it's really hard to run against that. And I saw this throughout the game, the Giants having that advantage, that box advantage. And I just think ultimately it played a big role in this game. What else did you take away from that first drive? Um, obviously, there was the, the there was the bit the, the inbreaker that McKinney almost got to, and you kind of saw both Tate Crowder and Love bite hard on that play flake. What those are probably my key takeaways from that first drive. Where, where were you at on that first drive? Yeah, I kind of want to just start with that first play. Because if you look at the front, you have both the linebackers who we talked about a lot going into this game, Dan, that those linebackers, they have a lot, they have a burden on their shoulders, right? Well, both of them are stacked behind Nick Williams and Dexter Lawrence, who are in the tight front that we just broke down. And what I mean by stacked is they're behind them. They're about three yards directly behind them, not giving the Titans offensive line a free release to climb up to them. And this ends up being a run to the field side, eye formation, under center. Like you said, a lot of bodies near the line of scrimmage. And Austin Calitro does an excellent job reading the outside zone run, and he explodes, right? He explodes and just goes right through the open gap to force everything long, takes out one of the blockers, and then Derrick Henry doesn't have any cutback link because Calitro is right in his face. Adoree Jackson gets outside, and then Jihad Ward, who just had one heck of a game, just easily fights through the block and, and gets to Derrick Henry for that tackle. But yes, I think you put it well. It set the tone early. Now, Calitro, who did have, I felt like a pretty damn good game. He gets isolated in the red zone. If we can go over that play, but I don't know if you have anything else. I know you brought up the second and five crossing routes to Traylon Burks. Yeah. I'm not sure if you have anything on that. Yeah, on that play, I just, again, 
there is some bite. There is some bite from the Giants second level guys on the play fake. But I did think like even despite all that, it was it was a good break on the ball by McKinney. He really almost got to this play, to make a play on it. Yeah, that's the second and ten play, the one that Xavier McKinney almost intercepted, where Robert Woods he goes inside, and you're right, man. Like Tannehill hits his back foot, fires this football, and McKinney was right there. You give him another split second, that's going to be an incomplete pass, and that's the only time we saw Robert Woods basically all game. But then you had the the second and five play to Traylon Burks. And this was what Todd Downing did. I I felt like it was a very good adjustment because he, he knew that Wink Martindale was going to sell out to stop the run. He saw that early on that first place. He was like, all right, we're just going to run the play action. It's probably in the opening script, get Derrick Henry flowing in one direction and then roll Ryan Tannehill out in the other direction with backside routes, crossing the face of the pursuit of the New York giants defenders. And if you look at that play, all the Giants linebackers bid up. They all bid up. And then you have O'Shane Zimenez kind of on an island. Like, do I go and attack Ryan Tannehill or do I sink underneath to take out this tight end? And you have one other defender who is in the area of three routes. So that's just the Giants getting exploited there for being over aggressive 20 yard gain to Traylon Burks on that second and five right before the touchdown pass. And we knew that would happen. Honestly, we, we had a good feel that that could happen just because this is you know, when you have this aggressive of a game plan to stop the run, for example, and Derrick Henry in this regard it's really hard to completely have everything else working in their favor. But let's talk about the touchdown pass after the first hint that, okay, uh, Dontrell Hillier might be an issue. I thought it was a really good design by the Titans because if you watch the playback on the film, they create a natural pick route. And honestly, this is not even all that natural. I feel like Traylon Burke's kind of like, this is kind of an illegal pick. I don't know. I want to get your thoughts on this, Nick, if this is illegal or not. I know they're probably not going to call this a lot, but, he really puts his, it looks like he gets pretty physical at the point of attack there to, and, and extends his arms almost as he runs that slant through. And it creates, again, that natural pick play. And it's hard for the linebacker to then come over and scrape over and carry the vertical there with Hilliard. Yeah, Downing does a great job scheming this stuff up. I, I broke it down on Twitter before the game, and he uses a lot of reduced stack sets, creates free releases off the line of scrimmage, and that's exactly what it is here. This is a first and seven play. Everything is within the numbers on the field. Two by two set. Both of them are in a stack with Dontrell Hilliard to the boundary, and the play was always going to Hilliard this entire time. You release Nich- Nicholas Westbrook Akeen up the field into Austin Calitro. So I wouldn't call this, I can see where you're coming from, 100%, but Calitro's in man coverage on Hilliard. He gets caught in man coverage, and this is kind of the the downside of playing man coverage when you have linebackers who aren't all that athletic, especially with athletic dudes like Dontrell Hilliard. But Akeen just runs right into Calitro, but he's running his route. Calitro just kind of gets picked. It's traffic right there. And then I love what they do with the number two receiver, Chico Conquo. He just basically runs to the sideline. So what do you do? You remove a Dory Jackson from that area of the field. Number 15, Akeen, his route basically just occupies that safety. So that safety is just going to be sitting there looking at Akeen and that creates the isolation against Austin Calitro. And he just kind of gets burnt on the on the little wheel route. This is an excellent verticals type of concept on the 10 yard line. <laughs> but it's a verticals type of concept, essentially. And the Giants just can't cover it. Yeah, you nailed that. And look, it's probably never going to get called, but I'll just credit it up to the Titans here. Good scheme. Good way to create that natural pick play. All right, let's move forward. Seven nothing Titans at this point. Giants go three, not three now, but Giants punt again. We go to the next drive, starting on the Titans' zone 18. They pick up five yards in the first down, and it's the second down play I want to talk about here. This is the first play I put on Twitter from the defense. Just such an awesome play to watch. It's second and five. The Titans go back to the run. That's what they want to do. The Giants once again line up with tight splits with those three defensive linemen, the two edges. There's five guys there. There's McKinney basically in the box. There's basically an eight-man box here. And 
They run back to Derrick Henry. They force him. They spill him outside east-west and on the edge, setting the edge in just epic fashion. (laughs) I want to say this, dude, because it's not just that he set the edge here. It's that he was able to single-handedly bring Derrick Henry to the ground. Like, that's not an easy task to disengage from the blocker that's that's trying to block you and then take down Derrick Henry. And that's Jahad Ward, number 55 for the Giants. And man, we went into this season like, all right, Jahad Ward, like he's kind of this interesting hybrid player. Maybe he'll play a little more than we expect. Maybe he can have that kind of like Austin Johnson level impact. And just we'll get into more of this later, Nick, but get an unreal first game with the Giants. And I just love the individual effort by him on this play. Yeah, and it was facilitated by Micah McFadden, who was that play side linebacker, man. He aggressively plugged the B-gap once he realized the backside guard was pulling. So he reads his run key there. His run key is that backside guard. He sees him pulling. So what does he do? He comes right downhill. There's a double team on Nick Williams, who is that three technique on in the tight front to that side, which is the field side. And it's a two tight end set, 12 personnel. So it's not necessarily strength, but I guess you can con- consider it the strength because it, it's also the field side. And McFadden just shoots the B gap, meets the guard. And then if you watch Derrick Henry has the football, he's supposed to be hitting that B gap. That's his landmark. He has nowhere to go because McFadden is right up at the line of scrimmage, taking on his lead blocker. So he says, okay, I got to bounce everything outside. Like we said earlier. And then you have a tight end against Jihad Ward. Jihad Ward is like 290 pounds, bro. This dude is like, you know, a biscuit away from being a defensive lineman, a true defensive lineman. He is a defensive lineman, but he is athletic enough. Although I don't love seeing him in coverage to play (laughs) edge rusher here. And I also liked how on third down, dude, they dialed up a, a twist with Calitro and Ward and almost got home. It seemed like it might have been a wrong route by by Traylon Burks or yes. Ryan Tannehill was trying to hit Robert Woods on the deep crosser. I'm not really 100% certain. All I know is that Aaron Robinson was draped all over Traylon Burks on that play. Ends up going incomplete and the Giants force a punt. Yeah, maybe it was the wrong route. Who knows? It's a rookie receiver. But overall, this was another good example of what all we have to work with is the film. We don't know the routes and if they ran wrong routes or not. And the coverage was really good here, as it was most of the day for Robinson. I also thought it wasn't a great call by the Titans here because the way the Giants aligned here, and they're playing man coverage, so one of the snaps they use man on, they leave the whole middle of the field open. There isn't a second-level defense in the middle of the field. In my mind, the Titans should simply be running mesh across the middle of the field against man coverage to create some kind of separation there and a little bit of a pick route and then get someone open. And in that case, like if they can do that and they get somebody open via mesh, there's a chance for like a insanely a lot of yards after after the catch. The Giants are, are, are really playing this aggressively in man. So I didn't think it was a great call by the Titans, but overall the Giants did everything they could and executed this really well. The coverage was good and they forced the punt, which was huge. They forced a lot of punts on third downs in this game. They absolutely did. And I also love the fact how O'Shane Zimenez kind of played this, right? Because he, him and Tay Crowder, they both act like they're going to blitz to hold the guard and the tackle on that side while the Giants send just four pressure from the center over on the other side of the field. And then they they had the little stunt with with Leonard Williams, actually, not Jahad Ward and Calitro. But basically, Tay Crowder and O'Shane Zimenez, they have Hilliard on this play. If Hilliard releases to the left, Tay Crowder takes him. If Hilliard releases to the right, O'Shane Zimenez takes him. But Hilliard stays in pass protection initially, and then he kind of leaks out. O'Shane Zimenez keeps his eyes on him, but then he drops into coverage to kind of sink underneath Robert Woods' route a little bit just to cause a little bit of hesitation for Ryan Tannehill there while also keeping a beat on Dontrell Hilliard. I thought that was a pretty aware play from O'Shane Zimenez there. Yeah, great call by you. I love those little takeaways. So we move forward after that that forced punt to the Titans' third drive. Giants don't score on this next drive. It's their third straight drive on offense without points, but they do back them up with the punt. The first play that stands out to me 
is after the first first down the Titans pick up and you could walk it back if you wanted to go over anything before this Nick by the way always know that they're now first and 10 from their own 19 Ryan Tannehill tries that deep pass to Traylon Burks that we referenced earlier where he kind of get people think he might have got tangled with Robinson again I'm watching it back now I just think this is more just Burks just tripping up on on himself but man <laughs> this was open a, a lot in this game but we talked. I feel like it's only fair to go over the reads by all the quarterbacks. We talked about yesterday. Jones missed a couple of the sills, a couple of wide open sills plays. Tannehill misses a deep over here to Robert Woods. That it's wide open. It's not that hard of a throw. And if he completes it, there's a lot of room after the catch. Yeah, there's a ton of room after the catch. I think Tannehill because this is a play action pass where he hits the far hash and then sets up, and he's going to be throwing to the far side numbers. So it's a kind of a long throw, but he just watches the release of Traylon Burks, who burns Aaron Robinson, and he sees him streaking. I kind of wish he put this ball a little bit more inside because you have Xavier McKinney playing center field here. Xavier McKinney could have intercepted this pass if it was just a little bit more inside, and Xavier McKinney might have even intercepted it if Traylon Burks and Aaron Robinson aren't on the ground because he gets slowed down by kind of where the ball is and gets tripped up. But you're right, man. Robert Woods was open on this play. It's hard for the Giants linebackers at this point who are playing very aggressively, who are coming downhill, to robot behind and get Robert Woods in that type of situation. That's exactly what Tay Crowder attempted to do. He's robotting like it's the 1980s on this play, <laughs> and he, he can't even get close. He's like six or seven yards off of where Robert Woods is. You know, I really love that call by you, Nick, looking back on this. It's not something I really noticed the first time watching this through and even the second time. If that ball's thrown a little more inside, and some quarterbacks aren't going to be able to make the throw on the outside, and it's not even as outside as this really could be. I think if this could be even further outside. It's not, but if that's thrown even more inside, McKinney is breaking on that, and that could be a ball hawk McKinney type interception. He does come closer than I remember to making the play on this in the interception. So just kudos to him on that one. And one final thing I want to say about this, I mentioned this earlier, I'll say it again. Traylon Brooks is going to be the best receiver on this Titans team in short time for fantasy football purposes. And everyone who says he can't run, because that was part of his like, oh, he ran this horrible 40-yard dash. Again, it's one of those things where maybe he doesn't run the tested time, but the game speed, when you put on the film, it's there. This is one player you're talking about where he gets vertical really fast. The play later in the game that I referenced earlier today, where he kind of runs that quick over, and the Giants have uh, Adoree Jackson responsible for him, and he's like playing 15 yards off the ball. He looked pretty explosive after the catch on that, and in, in his route on that one too. So I think the speed is there for a player like Burks. I just want to throw that out there as well. So a lot of the time, Wink Martindale was using two, four, five nickel defenses anytime the Titans were in a second and five plus type of situation. And I felt like Downing did a really good job taking advantage of that because it's a lighter box. It's a lighter front. And the Giants came out in the two, four, five on that second and 10 play. Derrick Henry ripped off a seven yard run. This is one way you kind of keep those linebackers honest. They've been aggressive all game. You keep them honest by running a counter run. You pull both of the linemen from the backside and you basically have Derrick Henry open up like he's going to go. It's a little bit of a delayed release like we talked about. And then Derrick Henry gets the football. Both those linebackers pinch up, but everybody's washed down the line of scrimmage. So now those linemen who were pulling just basically have a free release at Tay Crowder and Austin Calitro, and they both get intercepted there. And it puts Derrick Henry into a spot where Xavier McKinney has to step up and make a really good play on Derrick Henry. So I thought that was a really good adjustment by Todd Downing to help kind of ease back the aggressiveness of Wink Martindale and also kind of punish Wink Martindale for getting in those nickel packages on second and long. I love that little chess mass, that match that you just kind of went over there, Nick. And just to walk it back a little bit, what Nick means when he says a two, four, five, that's two down linemen with their hand in the dirt. That's four standing second level. We'll just call them linebackers. They're not really some of them, but whatever. That's four at the second level. And then that's five defensive backs on the field. 
Um, and that's the personnel grouping as well with the two linemen, the four linebacks, and the five defense backs. Also, dude, did you see the first and 10 pass the, your, your, your best friend, Nicholas Westbrook, Akeen, and how Xavier McKinney on the end zone copy, it, I didn't really notice how hard of a hit this was on the, on the game film, but on the end zone copy, man, Akeen catches his ball and, and Xavier McKinney lowers his shoulder and like literally just takes this guy's feet off the ground. I just absolutely loved to see that. I'm rolling that one back now as we walk through the film, because I don't think I remember this one in my notes. I, some of, uh, Obviously, I saw from the sideline angle, but let's take a look. Bang. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised he hung on to that ball. Wow. Yeah, no, that, that was great. And I also liked on this drive, man. You got to give him more credit. He hung on to that football. And maybe he is yeah. pretty good. Maybe he is pretty good. And he's also a solid blocker, too. Like they, they, I think that's why he's out there. The, the the Titans were trying to have him block Jihad Ward on some. some. I, I was like, dude, he's gonna lose that. Like that's terrible. But oh, when you want to, right? You want to you want to rule out eleven personnel and run out of it. That those are the types of disadvantages you're going to have. Also, man, I liked how we saw our first two versus one pass rush of the season against Aaron Brewer. Go figure. Yeah. Go after the young, inexperienced guy. They uh, It didn't end up getting home, obviously, but I did like how we, we saw that, how they isolated Aaron Brewer. And then the O'Shane Zimenez play on, on the third and eight was also on this. And that was, I felt like, a really good adjustment by Wink Martindale because Wink Martindale blitzed the defensive back at O'Shane Zimenez, who were on the right side of the offensive formation. But on the left side of the offensive formation pre-snap, you have a nose, Tay Crowder, Austin Calitro, Quincy Roche, and then another defensive back loading. So what is that going to force the Titans to do? It's going to force the Titans to slide their protection in that direction. It's a six-man protection. So you have Dontrell Hilliard coming from that side to take on the blitzing defensive back. But what does all that do if you have the slide protection on in that direction? It isolates O'Shane Zimenez against a tight end, Austin Hooper. And Zimenez does a great job just winning high side with a violent swat. And he pressures Ryan Tannehill enough to just throw the ball out of bounds, basically, overthrow number 16, who was trying to get in position for a touchdown. But honestly, Xavier McKinney was right there, as was Aaron Robinson. Yeah, this play is just so fun to watch. I mean, it's the execution from Zimenez. And more, more importantly, like, look, like you said, he's thrown into a dangerous area, Tannehill, because McKinney is right there. And he's just taking that chance anyway. I thought that was great. One thing I want to walk back a little from this drive that we didn't, uh, because that was an obvious win for the defense. And we went over a few of those. I want to go over the third, the 31 yard pass on the third and three to, to Hilliard. To me, from my vantage point, and again, I love learning through you, Nick. It looks to me like Crowder is in almost in like quicksand. I wrote that. I wrote in my notes like the recognition is just so slow. And I feel like in a lot of times in these pass plays, the recognition for Crowder is just really slow. And then he just doesn't simply have the catch up speed for a player like Hilliard, who's honestly, quite frankly, not that fast of a player. Like this is not like he's going to match up against a lot harder and to, to cover and faster running backs in the passing game for the rest of the season, starting this week with Christian McCaffrey. And I'm damn well sure, by the way, that as bad of a coordinator as McAdoo is, and he is bad in the sense that literally a lot of his game plans when he was the coach of the Giants were just win one-on-one -on -one matchups, use the exact same personnel groupings, and run slants flats. Like, I hate, like, <laughs> it sounds like an oversimplification and a bit of a hyperbole, and it is to some extent. But, man, there was not a lot. There was a lot of just try to go out there and win one-on-one. -on -one. And the same was the case with, with McCarthy when he was with the Packers and Rodgers over there. But I think even with that, Nick, I am a definitely insanely concerned with McAdoo watching this film and being like, all right, here are some plays for Christian McCaffrey in the past game that we're just going to kill this team on. So I want you to break down what you saw on that Crowder, uh, 30, on that 31-yard pass to Hilliard, and, and, and maybe what can the Giants do to improve it and to try to stop these plays from happening. 
So again, it's a two by two reduced stack set. And by reduced stack, it's one receiver on the line of scrimmage right behind him, another receiver. That's on both sides of the offensive formation. And why this is creative, Robert Woods is the running back in the backfield. Dontrell Hilliard is the quote unquote wide receiver behind Austin Hooper just off the line of scrimmage. So he gets a free release. So you have a Dory Jackson basically operating as a linebacker over the top man coverage of Robert Woods. And it just seems like Tay Crowder thought that he was going to take the flat. I'm not sure if he thought Dontrell Hilliard was going to go to the flat because Dontrell Hilliard initially just goes right inside there. Or if he believed that he was going to be responsible for Austin Hooper and Julian Love would have taken Dontrell Hilliard. It might've been, he wasn't sure of the, of the defensive rules there because he's definitely thinking a lot and he's definitely just wrong in his assumption, judging by what, Julian Love does. He just glues right to Austin Hooper. And then Adoree Jackson just goes right to Robert Woods, who's running a flare. And then that kind of clicks at that moment that Tay Crowder has to take Hilliard. By that time, Hilliard is like a good 10 yards away diagonally. Like there's Crowder's in no position to cover him here. And it doesn't even look like he's anticipating an inside release. So I just think Crowder, and this is me totally speculating here, but I just think he might not have realized what his rules were here what exactly his assignment was because he's so late to get to Hilliard here who doesn't even fake like he's going into the flat. Yeah, you're right, man. I mean, that's, and that's something we'll chew on and we'll think about a little bit more as we move forward and kind of try to figure that out. But that one ends up with a win, I think, for the Giants defense. Oh. I'd say that. And I also think maybe Wink Martindale's, and it, it's tough, man, because this is a really another credit to Downing. I feel like we're throwing a lot of praise at a guy who just lost to the New York Giants. <laughs> but uh, by aligning Robert Woods in the backfield, you have him release outside. Normally, you would just have Tay Crowder stay on the outside at Dory right. Jackson. They would switch, right? But you don't want to isolate Robert Woods against Tay Crowder. You'd rather him take the running back from a theoretical standpoint, even though I could argue at this point, Hilliard's a pretty, you know, he's a solid athlete. Robert Woods is a little bit long in the tooth coming off of an Achilles. So they switch responsibilities there. I'm wondering if the, with the athletic ability of Christian McCaffrey, I think Wink Martindale is going to build things into his defense, rules into his defense, where if they find themselves in a similar situation and Christian McCaffrey goes inside here, Dory Jackson will just take Christian McCaffrey, Tay Crowder will stay in the flat and he'll eliminate the guy going in that direction. So he won't even have that situation because of a switch. So some type of banjo type of coverage. Well, that's a really interesting breakdown, Nick. I like that a lot. Let's move. So Giants ultimately do get a win though. Field goal, they hold into a field goal, which in my mind, again, is a win. Let's move on to this fourth defensive possession here for the Giants. And we'll we'll go forward here. At least you can walk it back if you want. So at this point, the score of the game is, why is it not popping up? It's not popping up on my thing right now, but I think it's 10 nothing at this point, Titans. It is. Yes. yes. The first play that stands out to me is this first and 10 um, from the Giants' 33-yard line here. So again, they started this drive on the 40 or on the giants looks like they started this drive actually on the giants 42 i'm trying to remember now how this happened oh it was the fumble it was after the fumble after the jones fumble so they started this drive on the giants 42 this first and 10 from the 33 my take on this dude i'm watching it back now because it was so fun to watch this is arm talent by the way this is what i'm talking about with arm talent Tannehill's flush to his right he's rolling right he does not set his feet he's not throw from a balanced base and he puts a heavy ball with pretty damn good velo right on the money, drops right in on the sideline for the receiver who then toe taps his feet in there. I believe it's Cody Hollister, or whatever Hollister, one of the, one of their one of their backup receivers. I don't know what the Giants could have done to stop this. I think this is just a great play by Tannehill. It's a great play by Tannehill, and it's a good play call because the Titans show counter, right? They pull the backside guard. They show counter, something they had success running on the last drive, and then Tannehill just rolls out. So play action, 
roll out and what do linebackers do? They bite up. So Tannehill has like three options to throw the football to. And he's reading a Dory Jackson who a Dory Jackson can't do anything in this situation because a Dory Jackson's carrying Hollister to the outside. And the only other player in the area is the deep middle of the field safety. And a Dory Jackson has to respect those two backside routes that are coming into his zone. So he has to come off of that and pass this player Hollister to the safety, but the safety is on the hash. Hollister is just inside of the number. So all Hollister has to do is run a corner route and there's going to be no one near him. That's exactly what he does. He's wide open on this play. Just a good play call to, to kind of take advantage again of the aggressiveness of the New York Giants and also isolate the, one of the Giants best defenders in Adore Jackson and make him have a lose-lose situation. Because if Jackson sank here with Hollister, then you had two dudes wide open in the flat. <laughs> Nobody near him because Micah McFadden pursued the run so heavy. Love that breakdown, Nick. Giants ultimately do get another win on this drive, and it ends up, again, every single win matters in this game. A bit lucky in my mind as I watch it back. I'm curious to get your take on what happens here. So lucky and also a really good play by Adore Jackson not to, 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 to fire downhill once the ball is thrown out here, but it's a play action leak out to Derrick Henry. Man, I think if Tannehill recognizes this fast enough and just a meet and quick release, you know, he doesn't even have to plant his feet. Just the minute he rolls back to his right, throws the ball to Henry. Henry's just not the type of player who, who, if he has that kind of space, is going to get tackled before he goes to the end zone. That's just my take on it. Like I'm looking at the play now and I'm freeze framing it where he could have thrown the ball to Henry. There's just no way I think these Giants defenders, and it's not like they're in bad position. Like Adoree Jackson is in good position. He can kind of square up and try to tackle Henry. But I just don't know if it's happening. And I think ultimately Tannehill is just a little bit late on this throw to Henry. It looks like he's reading left first. He's trying to find uh, a receiver breaking back toward the middle of the field. It almost seems like unless he's doing that by design to hold the defense, I don't know. But ultimately, I feel like not lucky, but the Giants kind of benefited from a, a little bit of a slow processing play here from Tannehill. I feel like the Giants, because this was a play action pass, they just weren't as aggressive here. They all dropped into their zones. And you're right, Tannehill's looking for the deep over route. Xavier McKinney is right there over the top of it. Micah McFadden is underneath it. Tay Crowder is looking at all the underneath routes. And then you had the seven route to Hollister where you had two players just bracketing him with a Dory Jackson being one of them. You're right. Derrick Henry is wide open on this play and it ends up going incomplete. It's a late throw, but a Dory Jackson might've been able to make the tackle a little bit hard to tell, but I felt like that was really well executed by the coverage of the New York Giants in the red zone. And dude, this was also the drive where Tay Crowder straight up murdered King Henry. I think we yeah. should probably start calling him Jamie Lannister. <laughs> Jamie Lannister. I like that. Uh, that That's just a Game of Thrones reference for those of you who didn't know. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, know at this point. By the way, really good start, I think, to House of the Dragons. A lot of people calling it Hot D. I like that nickname. It's hilarious. Uh, I thought the episode three was amazing, but we're not going to talk about that anymore. Remember. Even if you go a little bit off topic on a two hour podcast, there will be haters and we don't want to we, we're, we're here for the lovers, not the haters. All right. Just yes. one more thing that I wanted to bring up just because he, he didn't really do many things other than like that really pop out to you. But on the first and 10 run that only went for that ended up going for four yards. It ends up going for four yards. Yeah, it's a solid game. But Dexter Lawrence, did you see how Dexter Lawrence just bench pressed Ben Jones yes. here? So he forces a cutback and Derrick Henry, to his credit, gets a solid yardage here. And it could have went pretty big if Jahad Ward just didn't absolutely take advantage of Oconquo. Again, tight end against Jahad Ward. You're going to lose that battle 99% of the time. But Dexter Lawrence gets into Derrick Henry's face in the backfield. Absolutely just bench presses Ben Jones, comes back and almost makes a tackle for a loss. Just such an impressive play from Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, I get it. He's not Jeffrey Simmons. He's never going to be Jeffrey Simmons. But every time I turn on the All-22 and I watch the defense, Dexter Lawrence is doing things that go unheralded. And I thought this play was one of them. 
Yeah, he really is an excellent run defender for the Giants. Um, similar in a lot of ways to Leonard Williams, who has a little bit more pass rushing juice, but not quite the same kind of juice as a Jeffrey Simmons or, you know, these guys like... Um, yeah, not near it, too. Like, I hate no, to say it because I love Lenny, no, but... like Unfortunately, it's not near it, and that go, that's part of the reason why me and Nick are not... We're never huge about trading a pick for him in a lost season during his free agent year, and then ultimately kind of giving him that massive contract, which we were okay with at the time, but then you start to backload it. It's just like... I personally, I think it's me more than you, Nick. I, if I'm allocating that much cap space to an interior defensive lineman, I just need him to impact the pass game a little bit more, a lot more, to be completely honest, because I just have limited cap space, and I need to, for me, I want to use that on people who are impacting the pass game on a consistent basis. And it's not to say he doesn't, Leonard Williams. He has to get blocked by extra linemen. He opens up things potentially for other pass rushers, and I think we're going to see that a lot more when the Giants finally get their horses healthy and ready to go. And by their horses, I mean Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau. But as far as what does he individually do, he's not doing the types of things that Jeffrey Simmons did in this game, for example, right? Like Jeffrey Simmons completely blew up the Giants pass, passing plan in the first half. And it's not really like the Titans had much better working at left guard. We talked about on the preview pod, the Titans left guard situation was as dire as the Giants left guard situation was. So there really should have been some some opportunities for either Lawrence or Leonard Williams to make some more of an impact in the passing game. But, you know, it's partly the game plan like you said it was so run heavy with these tight splits so there there are other factors involved in it for sure but again it's not like the it's clearly not what jeffrey simmons was able to do out there okay let's move on we have the win here and I, and look this is my te- i'm throwing this out there nick anytime you get a team to att- even attempt a 23 yard field goal i think it's a win i know me and you have different opinions on that and i respect it and so many good football minds have different opinions of that but i, I stand by it if you can att- get them to attempt a 23 yard cuz i if it's me and i'm a coach of a team i'm just simply never attempting a 23 yard field goal i'm going for it and look again worst case scenario you turn it over on downs now you have the short field now you can get a potential safety or as long as you, if you force one three and out there, it's all you need. You're basically right back in field goal range. So again, just not a fan of these decisions, but great for the Giants because they took four potential points off the board when they didn't score a touchdown. Next possession was the last Titans possession for the half. It included the longest run by Derrick Henry in this game, an 18-yarder. It included anything else notable from this. I'm looking through my notes now. Anything else really stand out to you? It ultimately led to no points here for the Titans, if I believe. Yeah. It, they didn't score on this drive, did they? I'm, 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 no, they did not score on this drive. They eventually punted, and then the Giants kind of just ran the clock out. Anything notable to you, or did you want to break down that 18-yard run by Henry, or, or what stood out here? Yeah, so I felt like Downing found success running misdirection counter again at New York. Open Tannehill one way, like I said, hand the ball off the other. It's an excellent way to, like we mentioned before, just calm those linebackers down. And the initial movement of the fullback and Henry either moves those linebackers out of position or forces them to wait read and instead of just aggressively filling like they were doing so successfully all game. I also like how on the second and eight, the Giants were in the nickel type of package. This was more of a two, three, six package from actually, no, it is two, four. You have Calitro out kind of being the apex defender as I'm looking at the moment, but the Giants run quarters type of coverage, like a match quarters type of coverage here. And you could tell that both those safeties, it's a two read type coverage are reading the release of the number two receivers and they both react. It ends up being a little out pattern to Kyle Phillips that Adoree Jackson breaks on and it ends up going incomplete. But I like the fact that Wink is kind of changing up the coverages that he's using on the back end. And yeah, Dan, that third and four, I love the look that the New York Giants had here. They end up sending only four rushers and they bail Austin Calitro out. And he basically drops into a middle hook zone that 
is very close to the stack receivers that are splitting the numbers and the hash. So you have a few defenders in that area and the Giants end up kind of dropping one safety deep Xavier McKinney while using a trap, kind of like a, a robber type of situation with Julian Love towards that stack. So you have a bunch of bodies towards that stack and Ryan Tannehill's clock gets accelerated because of the way Calitro bails out and Tay Crowder ends up coming in a twisting type of fashion around. I don't know which defensive lineman it was, but he twists around to kind of go into the B gap and that isolates Crowder against Hilliard in the six man protection. And Crowder jumps up, gets into Tannehill's face. And I think he tips this football because the football kind of dies a little bit and it, it lands right in front of Kyle Phillips. But if you look at Kyle Phillips in this area, you have three defenders right there. Kalitro, this pass was like maybe a second maybe like a split second later, it could have been intercepted possibly by Calitro, possibly yeah. by Julian Love. But I, I do think Tay Crowder gets his mitt on this football because you, if you look very closely, you see the ball's trajectory just change ever so slightly and it kind of dips a little bit. Still a catchable football, but man, Kyle Phillips could have died if he caught this football with three Giants draped <laughs> all around him. Yeah, this was the Giants didn't finish with any interceptions in the day, but this one was pretty close. The Adore Jackson one at the end yes, of the game. That, that one. That, because that Covered. one, it's like if we if they make that feel and it's just not nothing they can do. Like you want to get your hands on a pass to tip it. That's like what you're taught. But if it's not, and we'll, and we'll go over that one later. So let, let's hold that one because it's a fun one because it would have been really fun for Dory Jackson to get a game winning interception against his former team. And he did everything he could to, to potentially put himself in that position. But again, we'll go over it a little later. Let's move on to the second half here. Titans now up 13 nothing. They get the ball first. And this is a key moment because as you mentioned earlier, Nick, which I thought was astute and really important in the whole larger sense of this game, the Titans wanted to run the clock out. The Titans wanted to control the game. This is how Vrabel wants to win these games. He now has a 13-0 lead, and he starts this half off with three straight run plays. The first one goes for seven yards with Derrick Henry. So now it's second and three. You're thinking it's going to be really hard to stop this set of downs. Okay, let's move on to the next one for the Giants and then go from there. But on this second and three play, Dexter Lawrence makes one of the best individual plays. Scratch that. It was the single best individual play by any Giants defensive player in this entire game to beat the block from number from from the Titans uh, number sixty. I think it's Ben Jones, and get all the way across the line of scrimmage to prevent Derrick Henry from doing any kind of cutback here. And if you look at this play from the end zone angle, it is blocked up pretty decently at that second level. Like the Titans have a hat on a hat. Now, these aren't perfect blocks, but I think if Henry gets there and Lawrence is not there and Ben Jones does make the better block here, he can cut back and get vertical inside. And then he's just a steam engine going downhill. There are giants in the area, but he could power through them. It could turn this into a gain. So this was just one of my favorite plays to watch on the film. Dexter Lawrence really stood out on this one. Yeah, it's a jet motion halfback pitch to the field side. You have Dexter Lawrence on this play, basically aligned on this far hash, and he makes the tackle all the way at the numbers while fighting through a block. This is very impressive by Dexter Lawrence. And also, O'Shane Zimenez fights through his block. I believe it's a wide receiver who was just kind of blocking down on O'Shane Zimenez and not the most difficult block to fight through. But at the same time, he fights through to kind of help Dexter Lawrence here, and that stops Derrick Henry from maybe picking up an extra yard, forces this to be a third and one situation. I, I honestly think this play right here, this individual effort by Dexter Lawrence is one of the most important plays. And I put that in my Big Blue View article, one of the most important plays of this game. Because if they get a first down here, Dan, they can just continue to control the clock. Defense gets tired and then they could possibly get, you know, in the field goal range, you might be down 16, nothing, possibly even 20, nothing. If they score a touchdown, this is low key, just such an important play. 
Yeah, it really is. And you you called this immediately. We talked about the game on film the day after. It's just so awesome for the Giants, man. These are the types of plays that change games and give you an opportunity to win a football game. And so we always talk about how close these games are to being winning losses. And, and Giants fans know this better than any. They've been in a lot of close games lately. Most that just, and, and by lately, I mean like the last two, three, four, five years. Mostly they just haven't gone our way. And it's the difference in a lot of these games. And it's and in this one, it did go our way. And that's just awesome to see. The next play was that direct snap, wildcat type thing to Derrick Henry. He fumbles the snap. Again, uh, it's not like the Giants played this bad, dude. But I think if he gets this clean snap, it's going to be tough to stop. So a nice little break for the Giants there. Yeah, and it would have been a run with two lead blockers yes. right at Tom and Fox, which I think was something that Downing wanted to do. And I mm. felt like Tom and Fox played really well. Really but he's well. still... He's still an undrafted rookie, and that bobble just slows him up by about a second. And I got to say, man, Fox and Tay Crowder do such a good job avoiding these pullers, man. Fox just kind of, he literally like, you know, Ole with the bull, when you, when you, with the Matador, he just does that to the lead blocker, goes right around him and then squares right up to Derrick Henry. And Tay Crowder kind of does the same thing. Davis pulls around, tries to seal Tay Crowder. Tay Crowder just dips his outside shoulder and just goes right around him. Austin Calitro, pursuit from the backside, makes a tackle on Derrick Henry. So three great individual plays by the Giants here. But I think you are correct. If Henry catches this cleanly, it would have been would have been tough. Yeah, and now we're starting to see the momentum switch a little bit in this game. But obviously at this point, the Giants, uh, the Titans get the ball back with 944. And at this point, is it what, 13-6 at the time? Yes, the Giants scored their touchdown after the three. And, and so out. that's a key momentous moment. Like, at 13-6, if you're the Giants and you could force a three and out here, this is how you mount the comeback. You don't score the touchdown, let the other team go back down the field, burn a shit ton of clock, maybe get three, maybe get seven. Either way, put points on the board and keep your defense on the field and burn clock. You three and out it, and you really have a chance to then take the ball back and do big things, with which the Giants obviously did. Talk about how the Giants came up with this big-time three and out here. Um, obviously, you had the two. It was really just a full... Dontrell Hilliard drive for the most part. I thought the Titans designed a pretty good third down play and Dontrell Hilliard kind of just dropped the pass he should have caught. I don't know for a fact if he gets to that mark. I'm watching it back now. Do you think Dontrell, I think the Giants at least have a chance to make a really good play on this ball, even if Hilliard does not drop this pass and and force him short of the sticks. But anything else uh, on this drive or on that play that you want to break down? I think Dontrell Hilliard should have caught. I mean, he should have caught this football. And I think it would have been a first down. I mean, Aaron Robinson's coming down, driving hard downhill. You have another player in that area. And again, man, I I look at this and I'm like, did Oshane Zimenez tip this pass? (laughs) It's very close. I don't know if he did, but basically you have Oshane Zimenez. And this is an adjustment that I loved from Wink Martindale. And you saw it all game. The edge rushers, whenever it was passed and it was an obvious pass and the running backs were not in protection, they were leaking out. The edge rushers were taught to remove them off their spot. And if you watch this play, this third and two play, third quarter, 944 left, O'Shane Zimenez, he's opening up like he's going right into Nicholas Petit Freer, a matchup that he can win. But instead, he sees Hilliard release, so he goes after Hilliard and he just chips him and he throws him off of his spot, and then he spins around and gets right back up into the pass rushing lane. He locates the football in the air. I don't know if he tips this, but it was damn close, and it could have threw off Hilliard, who was also chipped releasing out of the back. So that could have possibly thrown him off because this shit was an easy catch right here. This is the Giants kind of getting lucky because he's wide open in the flat with Aaron Robinson playing off. And then the other defender who is in the area, I think Darnay Holmes kind of having an inside leverage on that type of play. Titans also ran mesh concepts. So there's a lot of traffic going on in the, in the short part of the field. But yeah, man, that catch or that drop, I should say was, was gigantic for the Giants. 
Yep, and sometimes it go. It, that's how it be, right? Sometimes we benefit from the drop. Sometimes we lose from the drops. Either way, we'll take them when they work also, in our favor. Yeah, yeah, man. The second and five play too, because like True. I said a little earlier, the the Titans were having success running counter at this point. So counter, you're pulling. You know, you're like we said, you're pulling those two backside linemen to lead block, to kick out, and then lead block. Hilliard ran with his counter play. But this time, man, Jihad Ward just does such a good job keeping everything narrow. So basically, when you, in order to defend, when you're the end man on the line of scrimmage and you're about to get kicked out in this type of situation, you read that place I tackle. That place I tackle, he blocks down on the three technique, which is Leonard Williams. Jihad Ward's rules, you read the block down, so you're going to step down. So block down, step down. So he, he sees this block down, step down. He steps down to replace where Taylor Lewan was. So what does that do? That keeps the rushing lane so damn narrow and it forces Hilliard to possibly bounce it outside. And that's exactly what happened. You can see Jihad Ward on this play. He steps down and then the lead blocker tries to kick him out, but there's nowhere for Hilliard to go. He has to bounce it outside. So what does that tell the linebacker? That play side linebacker sees Jihad Ward step down, block down, step down. So he scrapes over the top of him to replace Jihad Ward. And now he's outside. So now you have Hilliard going east to west and Jihad Ward does such a good job fighting through a backside guards block. This isn't a tight ends block to really elongate Hilliard and allow Tay Crowder to box him back inside where Jihad Ward just sheds Brewer and makes this tackle. Like that is such a good play by Jihad Ward right there. And it's just such a good defensive effort from the New York Giants. They're executing their rules, man. They, 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 and they have a game plan, Dan, and they're all working together, man. The continuity here is excellent for a new football team with a new defensive coordinator executing these rules and doing it at a high level. Yeah, I mean, it really goes throughout, right? The entire Giants team played with a lot more continuity than you would ever expect for a team with a first-year head coach, a first-year offensive coordinator, a first-year defense coordinator. In today's NFL, where, quite frankly, you don't have two days to work with. You have these truncated off-seasons to really install stuff. It just goes to show how much this team and how much these players have bought into what these coaches are preaching, both individually on both sides of the ball and just overall the Brian Dable, the Brian Dable message and, and, and the Joe Shane message. Because if you look in that post-game locker room, the players give the game ball to Joe Shane and Brian Dable. And Joe Shane's in that. And the fact they give it to the court, the coach and the GM is just something I haven't seen. And it, I think it speaks volumes. I think they all feel like they are building a culture. I know we were told everybody loves this Joe Judge culture they're building. They're building a culture with Gettleman and Judge. But we didn't really see it. It was just a lot of hearsay and a lot of talk. Now it seems like we're actually seeing it with the way these players are playing together. And obviously in the, in the postgame locker room, the way that they revere and they feel strongly about these two coaches. I mean, these two figureheads, Joe Shane and Brian Dable. So awesome stuff right there. All right. It's reciprocated get- too, man. Yeah. I mean, you don't go for two in that situation unless you really buy into what you're doing offensively. Oh, yeah. You're living by your word. You said that if you were presented with that opportunity, you would execute on that. And then you go ahead and do it. I mean, watch last night's game, dude. I don't know if you saw Nathaniel Hackett, but could you imagine if that was our head coach right now, Dan? Uh, look, <laughs> I have a best friend from college. Shout out Evan Rubin. I'm going to tell him that he got this shout out. He's a diehard Denver Broncos fan. And he texted me last night immediately after the game in a state of shock. He had very few words. He didn't even know what to say. He was saying some things. They were barely making sense. I feel like he was looking back, probably look back. If we look back at the text chain, he'd be like, uh, was this even English? And I understand that state of shock, that, that state of, oh, my God. And we didn't actually get that in the early Joe Judge era. But if I'm a Broncos fan and he said this himself, he thought it was he thought that the way that he coached that game was a fireball offense. And I don't fully disagree with him because I know for a fact after watching that game, this dude's never going to be it. 
It doesn't matter who they give him. Russell Wilson, Payton, whoever the hell they give him. This dude ain't going to be the coach. It wasn't just the way he mismanaged the end of that game. It was the way he coached that entire game. It was the fact that they had like 50 penalties. They had so many of these dumb penalties throughout the game. And by the way, kudos to this new Giants staff because we saw some dumb penalties. Remember last year? Oh, we're not ready for the snap. Let's call a timeout. Giants just burning a assist. Sorry about that, Nick. The mic went out there. Got a little animated. Started using my hands and, uh, you know, things happened and the microphone went out. But it's back. And look, I just got animated because I remember this feeling of having a coach like this. It was just so clearly in over his head and so clearly not going to be the answer. And so, yeah, let's not even get into that. But I'm like, God, I feel bad for Broncos fans right now because this dude is at some point going to get fired. He will not win a Super Bowl for that team. Mark my words, this could be an insanely cold take and Russell Wilson could make me cry about how bad this take was. But right now, I watch that. And I'm like, this dude's never going to have it. Yeah, it's not Russ's fault at all. I, I, that, that's egregious, man. I'm just so glad that Brian Dable is not that guy. But you can just sense it, it's palpable, the difference in how the players are probably viewing Nathaniel Hackett right now and how they view God. Brian Dable. And it's not just because one won and the other didn't. If the Giants missed that two-point conversion, the respect that Dable yes. would still have within that locker room would still be there. I still and that's think- the key thing me and Nick have been trying to hammer home when we talk like this. It's not about the results. It's about the process. Exactly, Dan. Exactly. Okay, let's get to the next drive because the Titans found a little sense of urgency on this one. The Giants scored again. Now it's a tie game. Now they can't just try to run the clock out. And they did start to find some success in the passing game. The first one I want to go over is this second, and I think it was the second, they, I guess they had the holding penalty before that maybe, unless the, uh, maybe True Media has this down wrong, but it looks like it was a second and 20 here. This release by Kyle Phillips off the line of scrimmage was absolutely filthy. Left Darnay Holmes off balance. He created immediate separation with the release. But I look back on the play on all 22, Nick. I give credit to Kyle Phillips for the release, but damn, dude, this could have been, this ended up being what? A 20-yard gain for the Titans to Kyle Phillips over the middle, a diving, a, a pretty poorly thrown ball that he had to dive for, in my mind at least. But look, if he has a choice route on that, the entire middle of the field is open. He could just run the vert and score a touchdown on the Giants here, or he could break back on an out to the left and then have room after the catch. This was a dangerous, dangerous play call by Wink Martindale. Yeah, man, Phillips just swims over the top of Darnay Holmes. And Darnay Holmes, man, just being a little bit undisciplined at the line of scrimmage because Phillips just gives him the little stanky leg. He opens up the outside foot. Darnay Holmes gets his hips flipped in that direction, and then he just... Phillips just goes right inside. But honestly, to Phillips, I mean, to Holmes's credit, he gets back into phase and works underneath. Now, at this point, there's a safety who's high, I believe. Yeah, there's a safety high. So Phillips has Darnay Holmes by about a yard. But Darnay Holmes positions himself in a manner where the throw has to be perfect here from Ryan Tannehill. And we brought it up a little bit before. The throw is absolutely perfect. It's thrown on a dime where Darnay Holmes can't make a play on this football at all. And the safety can't make a play coming downhill. So it's just an amazing throw by Ryan Tannehill, but again, the, the release against Darnay Holmes, who had an up-and-down game, was was something special from a rookie receiver. It really was, and I remain just thankful that he didn't run a vertical route on this one because I think it's a touchdown, or that he didn't break out to the left side where there is no safety help because who knows what could happen after the catch then. But very nice, very nice for the Giants. Then they get themselves into, this is where, you know, are very nice for the Titans, I should say. This is not nice for the Giants. This is actually the worst defensive drive by far of the day, I thought, by the Giants' defense. Because they get them in a first and 18 after a holding penalty on Brewer on a big on a big Henry run. And despite getting them in this first and 18, this was the play I referenced earlier. It was an interesting look from the Giants, I thought, pre-snap, with Adoree Jackson so far off the ball and, and off coverage, and with the responsibility of Traylon Burks here. 
And simply all they need to do, and now, of course, my computer is freezing while I'm trying to get this play up, but simply all they need to do is this little switch release at the line of scrimmage with Traylon Burks. He just darts on like basically an over, a quick over, and he's it's got so much separation here. It's a very hard play to stop. I don't know how schematically the Giants could have done it. I'm very curious to hear your take on this because this play stood out to me. It was a first and 18, and it went for 27 yards and gave the Titans life on this drive. Yeah, again, if you look at the top of the screen, too, Aaron Robinson is just absolutely dominating Westbrook Akeen basically this entire game. And like, but that's neither here nor there. On this play, oh, it is important to note, actually. Yes. It is. And I felt like he had a really good game against Westbrook Keen, but it's a Westbrook Keen. So we got to keep that in mind as well. But this is a play <laughs> is a action. Westbrook Keen hate podcast. No, just I actually, I think he's okay. I just think, you know, he's there. Like he fits with the Tennessee Titans want a tough physical receiver who's going to block. He's not going to create yeah. a ton of separation, even though he's a young guy. But this is a really nice, again, this is a, re- a reduced, well, it's not reduced, it's actually kind of reduced because it's inside the numbers, but the stack is just off the hash to that field side, right? You have Robert Woods on the line of scrimmage, Traylon Burks off the line of scrimmage, stack directly over top of each other. So essentially the way the Giants are playing this is whoever releases outside Julian Love, I believe, or Darnay Holmes will take, and that's going to be Robert Woods who is inside of Traylon Burks on the line of scrimmage. So what does that mean? There's going to be an open path to the middle of the field. And the way the Giants played this, they had Tay Crowder play the run aggressively, bites up on Derrick Henry, and then matches Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry stays into blocks, Tay Crowder, Green Dog Blitzes. Green Dog Blitz just means you end up going once you realize that your assignment is staying in protection. Now, you have Jihad Ward, who is on the opposite side, to that field side, the same side as the stack, opposite side of Tay Crowder. He's the end man on the line of scrimmage. He drops off into the middle hook. And what the Giants wanted here was for him to eliminate any inside slant he wanted Jihad Ward to eliminate that as an option with a Dory Jackson playing over the top. So if Robert Woods releases outside, Dory Jackson just work over the top of that release and then close with and get to the near hip of Traylon Burks. And you have Jihad Ward eliminating those short little slant throws. But Jihad Ward expands a little bit too laterally and Traylon Burks runs to the middle of the field more. And there's no one in the middle of the field at this point. And Adore Jackson is not in position because Traylon Burks is pretty explosive. He covers the middle of the field. So the Giants took a risk here. Jihad Ward, not really known for his coverage. He can drop in coverage, but it, it's not something that you necessarily want to happen. Traylon Burks runs into open space, and this ends up being a 27-yard pass to Burks. It's it's a well-designed play against this specific coverage where the Giants are in a cover one type of look, I guess you could say, because it is man coverage, even though Jihad Ward drops into a middle hook, and then you have one safety who is really, really deep, so he's not going to impact this play either. Yep, you nailed it. I thought you did a great job breaking it down. I don't have too much... Like there was the pass interference they called or the holding, whatever they called. They get themselves back, though, into a first and 20. This is the thing. This drive, the reason I thought it was the worst defensive drive by the Giants is they put them behind the sticks twice with the first and 18 I discussed earlier after the holding. And then again, later in this drive, it was another hold by this Brewer dude who we knew was going to be a big liability for them anyway in uh, on their offensive line though uh, of course for some we you know we weren't exactly able to take advantage of it in the passing game that much in the running game he held a bunch and he holds again so now it's first and 20 here at the Giants 23 for for Tannehill and this is where he hits Dontrell Hilliard for the 23 yard touchdown is there anything I missed that you wanted to go over or did you want to break down this touchdown yeah the third and five play I feel like is important because the Giants we know Wink Martindale loves to bring pressure here and he brings a nice simulated pressure and we've broken it down before but a simulated pressure is essentially a guy you didn't think was going to come pre-snap ends up coming and then you drop players that you thought were going to blitz off the line of scrimmage so it only ends up being four guys coming on the blitz but it's coming from a unique part of the field and it's a way you manipulate opposing protection packages. So here the Giants bring Darnay Holmes and they drop 
36 off the line of scrimmage who's sugaring the A-gap. They drop, I think, Kalitro off the line of scrimmage as well. So you end up having four guys coming, and you have Jihad Ward, who's kind of just matching the running back. So it's a unique, definitely unique defensive look. But pre-snap, you have a safety who's deep. And this is something Wink Martindale does a lot. But these smart quarterbacks, these veteran quarterbacks, aren't going to fall for this. You blitz that defensive back who's over the number two receiver. You blitz him. But you ask the safety who is in the middle of the field to cover that number two receiver. Now Tannehill reads this like it's nothing. It's very easy for him. He just throws hot. So basically it's just like alert, throw hot right here. The blitz is coming. And then Julian love is in no position to, to get over the top of Kyle Phillips. It's a very, very difficult ask. So I'm, I'm not going to fault Julian love here, but it's just wink Martindale getting a little bit aggressive, getting a little bit creative and a veteran quarterback exploiting it. Yep. And then obviously the touchdown to, to, to Dontrell Hilliard, anything there that you wanted to go over? Yeah, the touchdown to Dontrell Hilliard, I, I broke this down on Twitter. Let, let's go over the formation first. You have two receivers who are inside the numbers to the field side with two defenders over the top of them. Tay Crowder is in the middle of the field. So you have three receiving options if the running back releases to the field side. So obviously someone's going to have to match that third guy. And this is a match type of defense that the Giants are in. So if the number one and the number two if they go vertical, then it's going to be on Tay Crowder, I believe, to take that flat route, which ends up being Dontrell Hilliard. So both the number one and two go vertical, but the number two receiver stems inside. And it looks like Tay Crowder thinks it's going to be an undercall, which those two cornerbacks would give. If one of those receivers were to go under, Tay Crowder would take him, he would match him, and then the and then the cornerback would end up taking Dontrell Hilliard in the flat. But both of them go vertical, so there is no undercall. And it seems like Tay Crowder thought number two was going to go under because he matches him initially and then realizes, oh, crap, I'm just getting cleared out at this point. Dontrell Hilliard is just wide open in the flat. So it reminds me of the play we went over a little bit before where Tay Crowder might not have been too privy to the rules or he thought something else was going to happen. Fully know the the coverage rules that are baked in or what they're being told. This is just me speculating, but that's what I think happened here. Yeah, I just like that play because I put it up on Twitter, Nick, and I kind of said, like, I don't really know what the hell happened here. And it was cool because you jumped in and like three other people who follow me who are like coaches or like I see they run clinics. They all kind of laid in and everyone kind of had a different take on what went down on this play and, you know, why the Giants and some some were more similar than others. But it was cool to see and learn from people's evaluations of this play. So obviously not what the Giants want here, though. They score a touchdown, regain the lead. Next drive for the Titans, they started throwing 14. And once again, back themselves up with a Petit Freer false start. Again, you said it. These guys are going to be liabilities, Petit Freer and Brewer, and they were in this game. They racked up penalties. They gave the Giants chance. So, and this is this is key because on the second and 12, Tannehill hits Phillips for a nine-yard gain and ultimately gets himself in a third and three position that he might not be in otherwise if they hadn't backed themselves up and put themselves behind the sticks with a false start penalty. And here comes on this third and three, our boy uh, Westbrook Akeen, Trying, they're trying to hit Westbrook Akeen. He's got Aaron Robinson and just draped over him in coverage. Also an under an underneath defender at the second level. I thought the Giants played this so perfectly, and it was just so clutch again to get a three and out here. Oh, this was a great play. And Aaron Robinson, too, he opens up. He doesn't expect at this point. His hips are totally angled towards the sideline. He doesn't expect Akeen to work back inside. Akeen just uses his inside arm to basically push Aaron Robinson out of the way, works back inside. Aaron Robinson, man, this is the athletic ability that I'm talking about. Like, he is out of position right here, but he flips his hips very effortlessly and then gets right back into position, gets right back to that near hip. And then he almost comes away with an interception. I wish he did, man, because I think, I don't know 
what his confidence level is, but it seems like the Giants fan base are really low on this kid. And I think an interception in a play like this would have been excellent for him. But I love to see him recover in such a smooth manner against Westbrook Akeen, who kind of, I don't think it was OPI, but it was a very, very physical move to work back inside. And look, the reps were super limited. Honestly, we were making not assumptions, but evaluations based on camp reps, preseason reps against vertical routes that may just, it's a vertical route. But he played great in this game. All we can do is evaluate what we see. And Aaron Robinson had a really good first actual game for this giant season in this new role. Like, that's what matters. It doesn't matter the preseason. It's what happens in the actual game. Now, was the matchup that hard? No, it was a lot of Westbrook Akeem. And look, Westbrook Akeem's probably going to be the worst receiver, at least from a pure receiving standpoint, that he's going to face this entire season. But at the same time, he did everything he was asked. Like you said, he played with good technique. That was important for us to see. And he had a really good game, his first game in this starting role. So, yeah, Dan, and then on the first and 15, just to go back to that play, we saw some DJ Davidson, man. DJ Davidson played like seven snaps in this game, and he had two tackles, and one of them came on this play where he fought through a double team. Like, like he looked like Jack Nicholson in Shining, dude. Like, here's Johnny. He <laughs> fought through this double team and then got his hands on Henry and just kind of like drug him down from the back with just a huge pile of bodies around him, dude. But I love to see, you know, the fifth-round rookie getting in there. I think he's going to be a big part of this rotation. I'm sure that Martindale wants to keep Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence fresh Obviously, those guys are going to be the focal point of the defensive line. But if DJ Davidson continues to make plays like this when called upon, he's going to earn more than just seven snaps. Love it. Love to hear a guy get seven snaps and multiple tackles in his debut with the Giants. I kind of said, like, as we you kind of broke down some of his film in the preseason, we talked it over. Maybe, the, you know, this was the pick nobody liked. I get it. He wasn't really touted. But maybe that's one of their picks that they, like, had really good, did a really good job scouting on. We've seen this happen. In the past with the Shane Brandon Bean guys that they've scouted for the Bills. Um, I think it could be very well happening with Josh Zudu, maybe not this season, but maybe sooner than we expect based on what he's already showing in the run game as a run blocker. So just something to keep an eye on. I love that you brought him up. The next series for the Titans on offense is first and 10 from the 20. This is after Daniel Jones threw the red zone interception to take points off of the board for the Giants. This is a big drive too at this point. This is a very important uh, situation. I love, I want to talk about Brian Dable winning his first challenge as head coach of the Giants. Really good challenge here. A lot of coaches would let this go on, not challenge it. But ultimately, it takes eight yards off the... And this is... I'll shout out uh, Entertainer, the Entertainer on Giants Twitter, because he pointed this out on Monday after game day. He's like, no one's talking about it, but it was a pretty nice low-key move by Dable to challenge this play because it takes eight yards back away from the Titans, and it ultimately puts more clock on the board for the Giants in, in some sense, or at least gives them better field position. So good challenge there. What else stood out to you on this drive? So yeah, we saw the second and nine tight end screen that ended up going for eight yards to set up the third and one. And honestly, man, we've praised Downing. I felt like he had a solid game plan here. Uh, for terrible he was <laughs> this is just a horrendous, horrendous. call. And I get you're trying to keep the Giants honest and they've been highly pursuing Derrick Henry. And you know what? We praised Mike Kafka for a not a similar type of call, but why would you do an H-back end around to a rookie? You, you you bring him in close to the line of scrimmage like you're just beefing up, like you're just going to pave over the New York Giants. The New York Giants are expecting Derrick Henry, obviously, but a jet sweep where you're basically giving the football to Okonkro when he's three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Why the hell would you do that? And honestly, you look at Nick Williams on this play. He's just like, oh, wow, this is easy. And he just gets in the way. And then there's three giants right in his face. When I saw this play call, I was like, talk about trying to get too cute. And I think the biggest difference between this call that failed by the Titans and the call that won by the Giants, and Nick is referencing the fourth and one keeper by Jones's, 
Jones gets depth on that. This play does not is not designed to get any depth for a Quanku or a, a Quanku, whatever you pronounce. His I've been saying name. his name just to get you to say it. <laughs> yeah, a Quanku, whatever the hell this dude's name is from Maryland, the tight end we talked about in the pre-draft process. It's not designed to get depth. He's coming across the line of scrimmage at such a more shallow depth than what Jones gets on that bootleg. And the depth is everything here because the depth allows Jones to get to that edge. And the, and, and ultimately, the Titans guessed a little bit more wrong than the Giants did on this play. The Giants really played this really well. But that's the biggest difference to me. It's not designed to get depth. And you can't call play an end around that's not designed to get depth on a, on a, a short, uh, you know, short to go situation. And also, man, I just love how there are four defenders who read this. Okay. Yeah. Obviously everybody's worried about Derrick Henry on a third and one with six twenty six left down by six points. You're worried about Derrick Henry. You have Austin Kalitra who's right up on the line of scrimmage acting like he's going to come. Austin Kalicho reads this, man. He sees the jet motion, and this is a very smart play from this kid, this journeyman. He reads it. Tom and Fox, he reads it. Nick Williams, he reads it. He also feels the block. Taylor Luan tries to create a seal block just to allow Nick Williams to go upfield a little bit, but rely on Okonkwo's ability to, to work around Nick Williams. But Taylor Luan doesn't really get any contact on Nick Williams, and Nick Williams penetrates enough to get upfield to force Okonkwo back into the backfield. So I, I want to praise Austin Calitro, Tom and Fox, Nick Williams, and Adoree Jackson here who all read this play when a lot of people would have expected Derrick Henry to get the football. Yep. Break, excellent breakdown. Okay, so now the Giants come down. They score the touchdown. They go for the two-point conversion. The ball's on this guy. Balls. We love it. The ball. The, the ball's on this guy. But now the Titans are in position when they get the ball back down 21-20. They have to score points. It's only a field goal. But they have to score points. They do drive into field goal position. There's a few plays that stood out to me. The one you mentioned where Dory Jackson could have had an interception. So I definitely want to talk about that one. But I don't want to rush through anything else. Anything else you wanted to touch on before that? Yeah, I felt like the Giants were playing off coverage a lot. You don't want to give up a big explosive play. You could see Ryan Tannehill, the Titans offense. At this point, you have a minute left. You know, you have some time on the clock. They were just taking advantage of the fact the Giants were so off. Like the first play went for eight yards. That's eight very valuable yards, but Dory Jackson, or I mean, Aaron Robinson is off Kyle Phillips by about seven yards at this point. So they were being told, you know, play off coverage on, on the outside here, allow them to make a catch and then tackle in bounds. That's what the giants were saying. Was, we're going to surrender these yards, but I felt like the Titans did a good job just exploiting that. Now, Aaron Robinson credit to him. Once the catch was made, he was right in Kyle Phillips face, tackled him, did not allow him to get out of bounds. So you're just making the clock kind of ticked down a little bit by playing this off coverage, rallying and tackle. And I felt like it happened both times on Kyle Phillips catches. If I'm not mistaken on the second and seven as well, they made the tackle and they kept them in bounds, I think. So essentially, Dan, the Titans were just nickel and diming the, the Giants off coverage here. They did on the next play, second and seven, that ends up going just for three yards to Kyle Phillips. The next play, they find Austin Hooper for six yards. And on that play, it's interesting because the Giants are impressed. You know, the Giants at this point, Titans are nearing the middle of the field. The Giants are like, all right, we're going to disrupt these releases and we're just going to send the blitz. And that's exactly what they do. They create a free rusher. Xavier McKinney blitzes on this play. Tannehill has to roll out. To the credit of Austin Hooper, he gets his first catch, I believe, in this game. He just kind of releases inside of the number two receiver's release. Austin Hooper is the number three, and that forces O'Shane Zimenez to work over the top of the number two receiver. Easy pitching catch, but it only goes for six yards on this play. But Austin Hooper gets out of bounds, and that sets up the second and four pass to Austin Hooper that really, really could have been just a huge interception and a big moment for Adore Jackson. Yeah, and on that second and four, too, the Giants just go too high, 
two man under, it looks like you have a Dory Jackson playing inside leverage, forcing the receiver to the sideline. But what he does here is he flashes his eyes back at Ryan Tannehill because it's a three by one set. So with Dory Jackson, I don't know if this is something that's baked into the technique of what the Giants are doing because you have Xavier McKinney flowing hard over the top of where Dory Jackson is. Dory Jackson, I'm sure, is actually aware of that. So what he's doing is any out route, because you know the Titans are going to try to run an out route here because they want to get out of bounds to conserve time. So Dory Jackson flashes his eyes at the number two and the number three receiver to see if they're running an out route. And Ryan Tannehill, he was going to throw the out route to the number three receiver, which was Austin Hooper, who he just targeted on the last play. Dory Jackson comes off of Robert Woods's route and then goes to undercut this freaking play. But the ball is tipped at the line of scrimmage by O'Shane Zimenez. Again, great play by Zimenez, but I kind of think this would have been an interception if the ball was not tipped. And I just want to say just great read, great smart play from a Dory Jackson here. Yep. I love this. And this is the, you know, the difference sometimes in games. All right. Anything else on the, on the actual film for the rest of the game before the field goal miss, or do we want to start to dive into some superlatives and just kind of wrap wrap up moments for us? Yeah. Let's do some superlatives. Okay. Okay. Let's do it right now. I want to get your unheralded player in this game. My unheralded player in this game would be Tay Crowder. I know who you were going to go with and he would be my number one, but I think the amount of criticism we've provided just given to Crowder, rightfully so, and how he stepped up in this game and made a lot of key impact plays in a system that he seems to be a little bit more comfortable in, even though he had a bunch of lapses in coverage that we went over, I still think the fact that the Giants were able to win this football game was huge for someone like Tay Crowder. Like you said earlier, dude, he needed to have a big game if the Giants were going to win this, and he did. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think Crowder is somebody who you opened my eyes to in some ways because I went back and I watched the film after we talked about it. You had a head start on the film this week because I had, I had some things I had to do at work, obviously. And then I was looking at it and focusing, and I'm like, yeah, he really played his best as a run defender that I've seen in a long time. And I think it's what you said, him fitting the system. So it's a good call. I think I, you always, when you do these, there's deep sleepers and then there's sleepers. The deep, deep sleeper I'll do first would be Tom and Fox. I really just, he flashed in regards that I didn't expect him to. And I thought he was obviously in, in more than I expected him to be right away. I kind of felt like, oh, he made the roster good for him, but he was actually making plays in this game already in week one. So I'm throwing him there as a deep sleeper, but my un or deep unheralded player, whatever you want to call it. My unheralded player of this game was Jihad Ward, man. I mean, look, going into this season, we didn't expect him to make even have in my mind at least i didn't even ultimately expect him to have this kind of impact in any game he was arguably the best defensive player on the field for the giants some might argue and in that case like okay so the game plan is to stop derrick henry you need someone on the edge who can set the edge like he can and make the plays that he can both individual ones and the ones that he was able to kind of just like be in on and i thought he did a great job of that all game long the objective of this game would stop and slow down derrick henry that's all that really mattered in this game and he played a big, big role in it. So he would be my my player there. Love it. What is your best individual effort? I think it would probably be the Dexter Lawrence second and three, because that's mine. Yeah, it is, I think, the clear cut. So maybe the easy answer, maybe the obvious answer, doesn't matter. It has to be. If that's the answer, that's the answer. And that second and three play we broke down earlier, it's just, I hope you all get a chance to watch that on film. I don't know if you put that up, Nick. I, I did. I might, I might have put it up too. We both, you, you check out Nick's. It's got a much better breakdown, if that's the case. And he did put it up. But you guys can see it with your own eyes. It's such an incredible individual play. So that would be my my take there. Give me your best player overall in this game. It's Jihad Ward, man. For me, it's Jihad Ward. Oh, and I know that it. sounds crazy. We, we said in the pre-contest show that he was going to be a crucial part 
of the game plan for Wink Martindale, and he was, and he lived up to the expectation, and he was a mismatch nightmare for what the Tennessee Titans wanted to do. So he, to me, he was the best overall player on the Giants' defense. I'll go with Dory Jackson in this one, and I know, look, he didn't get called a lot. We talked about it. We almost had an interception. But I felt like Dory Jackson built on the steady drumbeat he had built. He's had really since the start of this offseason through the OTAs, the start of training camp, the preseason, and more importantly than any of that, because, yeah, he almost had that interception. He really wasn't targeted a lot, which to me, I consider just a big time win. He didn't allow he played a big role in not allowing any of these Titans wide receivers to have a big breakout game in a matchup where they were basically gifted a lot of coverages and a lot of situations where they were able, you know, it was possible for them to make a big play in the passing game because, again, Giants sold out, stopped the run. So I give him all the credit for that. And I also give him credit for what he did in a, as a run defender in this game. This was the most the best I've seen in Dory Jackson's run defender. And I saw a little bit of flash of this, by the way, Nick, in the preseason when he was attacking downhill, screaming downhill and helping in run support. I think it's obviously what the Giants are teaching as a big factor. And it, look, if you're going to buy into this, if you're going to be a part of the Giants, you're going to stop the run. It doesn't matter what position you play, corner included. And so. For all of that included, his run defense, the fact that he was just not simply not targeted for the most part, almost made a big time interception. It would be a Dory Jackson for me. Love it. What's your overall pass rushing grade if you had to do and then your run defense grade at the same time? Let's let's see what we think here. Yeah, so like we had a nice pass rush from Oshane Zimenez. We went over that earlier. Few and far between to find any other really good pass rushes in this game. I thought I was a little disappointed, to be completely honest. I mentioned this earlier with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. Just simply as pass rushers, they both played really good games in their overall and in the run game. But you had an advantage here. You had a really young, inexperienced weakness for the Titans in, on that interior offensive line, similar to what the Giants had on their side of the ball at left guard. The Titans on the flip side were really able to take advantage of that with Jeffrey Simmons, the point where they had to completely derail their offensive game plan, the Giants, and go to something different. The Giants, they weren't able to take advantage of that. And to be quite honest, Leonard Williams is going to be the fourth highest paid non-quarterback next year. I need him to do stuff like that, man. If he has a good matchup, I need him to take over a game ripping through the line of scrimmage as a pass rusher and totally derailing game plans of other teams. I didn't get that in this game, and I didn't get that for many of the players, so I'm giving it a 3.2. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a 2.9. I agree with everything you said. What I will say, though, is a lot of their passes, just under half, were off the play action, and they were told to yeah. stop Derrick Henry. So I think I want to be fair to them there. But overall, you are correct. I think the Giants miss Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojolari, and Ellerson Smith, who we conveniently forget about. Yeah, and you know what? That is a really good point. I want to walk it back a little and put the context out that Nick just put there. These Titans pass rushers were allowed to shoot these gaps and just play hard upfield. A lot of these plays that you're talking about, these play action passes that the Titans hit, the Giants were trying to, you know, hold it, you know, play the run essentially with these defensive linemen and react to the run first. And so that does make it harder. And that's important to say. All right, Nick, this one's going to be fun because I think we both agree this one's going to be a really high grade. Give the run defense a grade. 9.2, baby. And I'm wondering if I even gave anything that high last season, but the run defense was excellent. I felt, felt like the situation was stacked against him cutting Blake Martinez. And yes, I do believe the the new additions to the Tennessee Titans allowed the Giants to have success against the rushing tack, but still you're going up against King Henry in that situation. You're going up against a team who is known to run the football, the former number one overall seed in the AFC. And the Giants went into their building in week one as dogs and kind of beat them up at the point of attack. So I'm going to go with a strong 9.2. That is the highest grade I think either of us have given any unit since we started doing these superlative grades. 
I'd go 8.9, which I think is probably also probably the highest grade we've given any unit. It's run defense. You broke it down. We did a whole podcast on it. Just unbelievable. And it was exactly what they needed in this game. So truly awesome to watch. All right. That's all the time we have for today on the Big Blue Banjer podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy these big, uh, these all 22 breakdowns, these coaches film breakdowns, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Share this podcast with your friends. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Help us expand this podcast beyond just what we have it as right now because we are dedicated to giving this type of analysis. We, me and Nick are. We're not braggers, but we feel pretty confident that we're delivering a pretty solid level analysis here. And if you agree with that, we're not saying you should, but if you do agree with that, please help us grow because we need everyone's help we can to do that. So thank you so much for that. And be on the lookout later this week where you're going to have a former football player join us to preview the Giants-Panthers game. And look, I'll be honest, in the past, I've told this to Nick, I used to cover the Giants 24-7 sports. Preview content, never that great. but. Those are all in losing seasons. When you're previewing a game that really matters, like this week two game against the Carolina Panthers does, because look, the Giants have an opportunity to go 2-0. and 2-0. and freaking And it's not even like a crazy opportunity. Vegas has them as legit favorites in this game. So it's like, in some ways, expect it. Wow, 2-0? and We haven't even had a chance at sniffing 2-0 and in years. So it's a big game. I love doing these previews when the games actually really matter and they're playing for the playoffs. And it's <laughs> we're not talking playoffs yet. It's week two. But when you're 1-0, it is something you got to start considering. You go to 2-0, and and you start to really consider it, especially with the Cooper Rush Cowboys coming into town that next week in Week 3, a game that I will be attending, and I can't wait to be there. So please keep an eye out. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.